I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome to my good bad brain I'm a normal person so I'm insane I've got depression and ADHD But I'm doing better since I medicated me Still not always sure whether I exist or what being a person even really is But I figured out a long time ago that being alive is beautiful Um Oh my god, am I nervous about this first episode? Just being a person, no big deal. Everyone gets nervous. Why am I nervous? All right, let's do some business first. Here's the deal. Uh, welcome to my good bad brain, the first episode. The business part is patreon.com slash my good bad brain. Or leave me reviews, five-star reviews, ideally. Maybe list a few nice words about it. Because um, that's uh, really helpful to making this thing a success. Thank you. And I, you know, I'm humbled. I truly am by the stuff on the Patreon right now. I'm talking about it by like a robot because it gives me feelings and I don't know how to deal with them uh, exactly. And so I just try to be like, just be a person. Just say the words. Just thank you. So you're appreciative because it's potentially life-changing. And, you know, you're doing this thing and they're supporting it. Whoa, wow. And um, that is true. But with that comes more responsibility oh fuck what do I do with that um um, and I think with that responsibility and particularly this one um is very much flavored by the fact that I have set this up as what it is which is a a mental health and being a person podcast you know and y'all out there who have supported it have made me go oh shit man who am I to say that why am I saying that what am I doing uh, I'm not a doctor I'm not a professional I've been a person for 32 years so I have some experience with that and I understand the condition of personhood is terminal and I'm not getting out of this thing alive so uh, it seems like a good thing to dwell on and figure some things out about and uh, I think I've gotten some <sighs> I think the thing that has helped me the most with my good, bad brain, with my ideas of what's existence, spiritual health, mental health, physical health, what's the difference, 
is just sitting and talking to people, especially people that I love, especially people that I care about, especially other people who are good at relating to other people, you know, who want to see all these commonalities between us, who also struggle with their own good, bad brains and get through. So that's what I did. That's what I thought would be the best thing to do here is uh, talk to as many people as I could who were getting through and getting through beautifully. And it ended up feeling like a little bit like a therapy session, I guess. We talk all over the place. But, you know, that's how conversations go. The only difference is I don't stop at 50 minutes and go, hey, give me a check. <laughs> um, uh, we talked for about two hours, I think. Um, I do ask some formal questions at the end every time. I just want to, to, to make sure that this doesn't just turn into a hang sesh completely. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Hang seshes are very healing and wonderful. Um you know, community, they make you feel connected to other human beings, they make you feel less alone in the universe, it makes you feel like, oh, maybe there's some sort of, like, a connection, reason between all this stuff, you know, reality, um, I do ask questions, I ask the questions about, you know, you got any diagnoses ever about your brain, you take any mental, uh, health, uh, sort of medication, you take any medication, what do you take, how much, whatever, what do you think of it, have you, I ask about self-care tactics, I ask about, you know, some silly internal questions. That all happens for sure at the end in a more formal way every time. Uh, but a lot of it's just sitting and talking. Observations of the universe, lessons we've seen, you know, that we've learned, whatever. Um, and I will say real quick, third order business stuff. I, uh, yeah, I'm i going to get better at this recording thing. I got I get pretty excited at times in this conversation. And uh, the recording quality is not as good as I want it to be, but it'll, it'll get better. It'll keep getting better. This is a one-man show, you know what I mean? Uh, learn about audio engineering as I go. Um, okay, let's get to this episode, this first fucking episode of My Good Bad Brain. Good Lord, here we go. Here we go, kicking it off, lighting the, lighting the firecracker. Grace Helbig. Uh, if you don't know who Grace Helbig is, then, um, I don't, I don't know what you're doing on the internet. Come on, man, what are you doing? Uh, Grace is, uh, just one of the, one of the holy trinity, you know? She's, she's, she's like fucking one of the first branches in the tree in the new media thing, and, uh, you know, I don't know. Google, just Google Grace Helbig. She's uh, you know, vlogged for a long time, makes a lot of content, actress, producer, creator. She's got this show, uh, this might get with uh, uh, my other dear friend Mamrie Hart going on right now, and um, author. I don't know, whatever. She's done a lot of these things, you know. And uh, to me, she is my friend. She is my very good friend, and just one of my favorite people in the universe. Uh, and I thought she'd be fun to kick this off with because. Her podcast that I did, uh, uh, Not Too Deep, <laughs> this is quite the opposite of Not Too Deep, but um, it's probably the reason that I'm doing this now. She invited me on her podcast a couple years ago, and I've gone on a couple times now, and it's always such a blast, and I was like, damn, I love talking. I love talking to people about being people, about the world. And so I thought it was only be appropriate and fitting to have her be the first guest on this one. Uh, if it's her fault that I'm doing this, that... Um, because I don't take any responsibility for anything. It's her fault. She triggered it. It happens. It's her fault. Um, of course. Then, uh, yeah, let's have her first. Um, I have a sort of theme in mind with every individual that I sit down to talk with. Something that I think is specifically related to them or who I see them as in the world. And would be kind of a thing to talk about. Uh, with uh, Grace, there's definitely some stuff that I tend to uh, want to get into with all people who are YouTuber types, um, which is about, you know, sense of self, uh, who are you here versus on the screen and your relationship with yourself in that sense. And we get into a lot of that, which I think 
it mirrors a lot of our experiences, even even those of us who aren't in entertainment or aren't vloggers, um, that that have a sort of uh, you know who's me versus who's the projected me, and that's some fascinating stuff. But my favorite thing and my most connective thing, I think, with Grace is um, a sort of appreciation for what I would call divine stupidity. <laughs> Just an understanding of this like mystical, magical beauty in how dumb people are and things are and things that make us laugh are and how hilarious the universe is. That that just kind of never-ending laughter that defines the universe to me and I think to uh, Grace a little bit as well. Um, yeah, I think that's enough. I don't know. She's just wonderful. There, I, that, something I find in people, I, I you know, don't want to speak for them too much, but I, I see in them or feel I see in them that resonates with me uh, and a feeling I have is this feeling of kind of like kind of feeling like an alien pretending to be a person, observing people all the time, being among them, but not one of them, uh, which is not true, really. You know, uh, I think a lot of us feel that way. And ho- I think, you know, as this podcast goes, maybe more and more of us will find each other. <laughs> you know, this feeling that you walk through going like, oh, they're all people and they're fine. It's working for them. I'll just try to lizard person shapeshift among them <laughs> and maybe that'll work, you know. Um, but that striving, that observing, that existing and that truly uh, connectedness with her own profound deep humanity and especially divine stupidity i think makes a really beautiful person uh who was generous enough to be very open with me on this first episode of my good head brain so let's uh let's roll man let's do this thing i hope you like it uh patreon.com slash my good brain i'll keep saying that because i want to sing it go on forever all right uh thanks a lot i love you be well um let's get into it my good brain episode one grace albic Um, um, but that's the thing I was thinking about because Ronda Rousey did yeah. like her debut match. Rowdy Ronda, I love that they're doing the Rowdy Piper thing. With her. Yeah, it's really cool. I want her merch now because she started off kind of shitty, and then she her match was amazing. She was so good and so athletic and so just cool. And I was saying I would be terrified to fight Ronda Rousey in WWE because. She's an actual fighter. Like, yeah. what if all of a sudden she sees red and does break your arm in an arm bar? Yeah, and it's well, I mean, like, that's, uh, that's like Brock Lesnar, too. Yeah, no, exactly. Actually, and I think a lot of them, That's uh, this is so funny, like, literally the last one of these I recorded, I don't know what order they'll go in, was with Zeke, uh, uh-huh. and we just talked about pro wrestling. For well, like- that's, I've been watching all of the 24s, uh, which is basically like their 30 for 30s on their individual wrestlers on the WWE Network. Yeah. And Finn Balor and Seth Rollins both had injuries that they had to recover from for like months and months, and it like chronicles their recovery. Dude, Finn Balor's uh, amazing. He's right? my favorite of all what's, time. What's the uh, LGBT thing? Because I saw, I was seeing about uh, that. He brought all the, so he sold shirts at WrestleMania, and a portion of it went to Glass. And he brought out all these LGBTQ plus um, community members with him at, uh, as his entrance. That's and, I, rad. and then I, I'm getting literally I'm getting chills right now talking <laughs> about it uh, because I just watched his 24, and he's just great. He's been like he loves wrestling. He's been trying to do it. He's from Ireland for his whole life. His parents are just like super sweet, supportive Irish parents. Yeah. And he's got just good friends and he seems just like nice. And there is the whole skepticism of like, is he bi? Is he gay? Is this like some announcement in some way? It was just him saying that wrestling should have inclusion. Well, I also like that even if, I I don't know, to me, 
he might be, but like the, yeah. th- this is the thing I talk about. Uh, uh, like I don't understand. People are so obsessed with knowing these things. Like it's so important right. to them to label. But everyone's people. fluid, so everyone's a little bit of everything. Yeah, and like you really, uh, the idea, our obsession to say like I am this, I am that, and to stay that way, and then also to be able to categorize other people. I understand it because I think it's like comes from some uh, epigenetic sort of like memory of survival. We're like, well, we need to categorize. This is a dangerous thing. This is a not dangerous. Yeah, thing. Yeah, I think it's also your brain. If you see a half circle, your brain finishes the circle. Right. It wants to know completion. It wants to fully understand Ooh, yeah. what it's looking at. Like if you make, uh, you know, any sort of like picture and you leave out like if you do a paint by numbers or something, you leave out one little mm-hmm. spot. It bothers people. Yeah. And so it's like this idea of a full understanding of something. Ooh, that's so interesting. I mean, that's what I associate it to. It's like there's um, levels of I've heard in different like self-help um areas that there's all these different levels of how your brain works and a lot of people uh value certainty like knowing and those yes, are yeah yes. and those are i'm one of those people that i fought against like the idea that i'm a person that value, like needs to know things yeah. but it's true like i need to know like what my plans are i need to know like who's going to be where i need to, at this event or something or like um what i need to bring or like what i can expect that sort of yeah. thing not spot i don't thrive on spontaneity as much so i think there's a kind of association there of just like wanting to know exactly how to be able to categorize this person or thing did you grow up in like a chaotic or ordered environment more more um it was kind of i think it was like ordered chaos in a way my parents were divorced so it was an untraditional like i would go visit my dad on weekend every other weekend and he would do visitations on wednesdays and like all of my friends parents weren't divorced and so that was a seeming sort of chaos but um my well, pa- I mean, what was it is it was your sense of, like when you go my child did you just think about it like oh, i was very ordered it was very calm yeah. it was very yeah it was very like standard well, do you think that connects because that's i'm asking because i wonder if how oh it's very like, much know. about like it's learned behavior from like my mom my mom yeah. like very much needs to know exactly like what's happening where and gets uncomfortable if plans change oh. gets uncomfortable if like some a wrench gets thrown into it but like tries to yeah. be someone that is okay with it yeah and so I you was, kind I, of just yeah but i feel like that there's like a weird uh my child that i like i was think was very very chaotic and very like strange mm-hmm. like well um, your mother's an artist right very much an artist but also like her mom died when she was 12 and okay it was like i think that added to a lot of childhood stuff and like sure. being kind of like when she became a mother like not knowing exactly what to do with it being right. very young being just a, a lot of different reasons um ca- uh, where it was chaotic but like to the point of like i'd come home from school some days and your room would be a different room my mom would be like we moved your rooms you know yeah and, and i think uh i feel very comfortable in chaos and i feel um maybe sometimes i create chaos just be, to because it's a, what like, you're familiar with yeah but the yeah. knowing thing is interesting because i feel like i go back and forth i have these sort of erratic reactions where sometimes i I, I think the best version of me don't I don't need to know like mm-hmm. I, I think the idealized version of us in general is uh, not feeling so attached that's, to other things I'm with you yeah that's what uh, I remember someone said like to me you value certainty and I was like no I don't I'm fun and spontaneous and then that's I realized so, that like, that's such a that's such a certainty value response exactly <laughs> and I was like oh god it took me weeks to realize like yeah certainty's not bad but there's just a certain amount of certainty that is healthy, I think, yeah. versus like, I mean, everything in moderation and everything in balance. And so the idea of allowing yourself to kind of free fall into spontaneity, knowing that it 
in yeah. whatever regard won't be the end of the world. Well, that's so funny because I feel like um, I feel like an ideal situation, an idealized version of myself, at least. I think people in general, though, would be you'd have a very scientific mind in the sense that science is just about observation mm-hmm. and uh, and receiving data. And I think people people take that and then. Uh, maybe not as scientific as so much as empirical is what I mean because scientific would be like well we're going to operate from the assumptions of things we already know which is certainty value right but a true scientist a true like empirical approach to life would be when that's sort of zen you're like living in inquiry so somebody says to you you're a very certain person a a certainty valuing person your response because it means safety or whatever is to go is to go no I'm not because you know you categorize it (laughs) instead of like but Am also, I a certain person? And then evaluating somebody's assessment of you or their version of reality and then saying, do I believe that's real or not? Right. And also attaching what you value versus what you assume is negative versus positive. I had this, and I think we've talked about this before in conversation. I've always had this growing up negative association with being an introvert, with being shy, with being like someone that gains my energy by myself mm. rather than being an extrovert that needs to be around people that likes to be in social situations that gains energy. And so I was always like having this inner turmoil of being not wanting to go out but feeling like I should want to go out and why can't I just be one of those people Mm. that is the life of the party that is that wants to go out every Friday Saturday night that has a ton of friends and things like that and then I realized as an adult that being an introvert isn't a negative thing it's just the way that my mental capacity recharges itself and that I can be social doesn't mean I'm inept in like social situations it just means that I can uh, my energy starts to go down like a video Mm. game and then I need to go home and like plug my USB in and recharge myself that's a good way to look at it yeah and it's not negative and once I realized that it wasn't negative it really kind of flipped my view of like being so comfortable being an introvert rather than trying to fight against it which is the same thing with certainty once I know and I'm comfortable with the idea that that's part of like my psychological makeup Mm. then I know how to handle myself when I'm getting either uncomfortable in situations I realize like what the core problem is is because I don't know or because something changed and I can identify that and realize like okay I'm just triggered a little bit because this is, you know, what my go-to is, and now I identify that and can kind of let it go more. Aloneness is a very funny. I, I was, I, I actually, uh, Heat is on Netflix. That movie with Al Pacino, Robert De Niro. Oh, yeah, I've like never that. seen it. Man, I really love Heat, but um, <laughs> it's really good. Is that, are they sponsoring this episode? <laughs> yeah, they are. No, but what made me think of it was uh, what you said. Just, just the idea of alone, not lonely. I, I screen capped like I actually. Yeah, loneliness I, you know, is different than being alone. Exactly. Yeah. And, and she says, "There's a character, the part person that says to Robert De Niro." Are you are you lonely? And he goes he goes uh, I'm alone, not lonely. Yeah. You know, and and it's just like I just think about it all the time. It's just funny because I screen capped it. I was like I put the <laughs> subtitles on, you know, so I can look at Robert De Niro's face, like grimacing over, like alone, not lonely. You know, so really dumb. If only the people listening could have seen the face <laughs> and the impression that Let's you just, just made. Let's just say it was perfect. It was, it was perfect. About it. It felt like, like Robert De Niro was in the room. I was like Robert De Niro, you invited me over to your podcast. God bless. I'm peeking. <laughs> but um, but that aloneness is uh is interesting because I uh I remember like. I, I had this weird moment. It's not easy for me. Aloneness was not hard, easy for well, me. Well, you're... I, I, I think I've come they, to love it, but... Right, but I feel like you're one of those people that does value and gain energy being around other people. Yeah, I... Uh, 
I, I always assumed that I've, mm-hmm. I've, I'm very pack oriented. Yeah. And um, does it come from like having brothers and sisters that are so close to each other? It does. Yeah, it definitely does. Because, you know, uh, my brothers and sisters, the way we operate, our parents like kind of were doing their own thing and having some problems or whatever. So and you guys had each other. Hummingbird again. Hey. Hey, baby. Hi. Hi, Hi. friend. He's trying to get in. Uh, magic hummingbird. He wants a tiny little microphone so he can contribute. Um, I have some ideas about nectar. <laughs> I'm also um, pack mentality. Let me in. Um, I. Why do we always feel like there's not enough nectar? Um, there's <laughs> so much nectar and it's just there in flowers. And what if hummingbirds have really low voices? Why does everyone do it so high? That's a totally fine point. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> they could be like working on a frequency so low. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they uh. all sound like Samuel Jackson. Jackson and we just don't know. <laughs> it's like a, or like just a dopey Muppet dog. Like this one <laughs> wants to get in yeah, and become a friend. There it goes. Bye. Um, it's going to brunch. Aloneness. No, but I want to because uh, I think that's like important. That you I, and your your well, brothers we, and we sisters. We bonded. We yeah. were like we we're like all right. Well, they're gonna do whatever. So we're gonna forever pack pack up and bond yeah. together. And it's remained true. And uh, but. I had this weird, um, I had a girlfriend in high school, we stayed there for a long time, mm-hmm. and I moved to LA with her, and uh, and I had a roommate then too who came with us, we were all like moved out for the first like six months, sublet this place, and there was this day, I was probably like 20 years old, I okay. think 2021, 20, something like that, and um, I had this weird day, she went to do her job at... Uh, like a hostess job and my buddy used to play poker he would like go play poker to pay his rent and he went to some casinos gone and uh-huh. it was a Sunday afternoon evening and I suddenly realized I was alone and uh-huh. I was like I think this is the first time I've truly been alone physically physically literally alone yeah in like my whole life maybe like wow. that, can't, that can't be true but I the was first like, time that you because, you realized yeah, it. Yeah, I, mean, I sleep through marching bands because there's so many people in my house always screaming around. There's so right. many kids everywhere, always always groups. And then I had this companion. We were constantly together and blah, blah, blah. And I had this momentary, I had this like real freak out where I was like, huh. oh my fucking God, this like panic came over me of this wow. aloneness. And I and I, I think that was the first time, you know, well, I, anybody reacts to something uncomfortable, I guess, especially when I was such a fucking mess. Uh <laughs> In, in a, a very very panicky and very like I gotta get away from this forever uncomfort discomfort I gotta get away from it mm-hmm. but um, years and years later I think that was just the first time the thought began I, and I think maybe other people have that reaction too depending which side you're on either sure. to groups or is not then now I don't know I started to cultivate that aloneness it just created panic it just created like a true echo of an existential feeling of loneliness and this, yeah. this thing that we're always trying to stave off that our experience is truly always alone that there's there's you know in some sense a singular yeah yeah especially when you won't like singular that's a much better way to put it yeah and that uh, you know all, over time I had to really cultivate it now I value it deeply and I do mm-hmm. feel like regenerated in, in certain ways uh, and, and I think uh, maybe it's obvious to say, and there's just a holistic sort of truth in general that both ver- like there are different types of batteries in us, yeah, uh, and that we all do all have them, and there are things that we require. Like if you stayed alone all the time, mm-hmm. certain parts of you batteries would start to drain. That oh, for sure, thrive from, and that's what I realized as an adult too. That I've I've gotten this realization that I'm an introvert and I like being alone, but then sometimes I lean too far into that and then it becomes lonely rather than being alone. And then I have to right. like make an effort to like reassert myself into society and like hang out with people and like be social and like actually make moves to do that, like conscious efforts to do that. Right. What do you what do you gain from it? Like, you know what I mean? Like what is the sense of you? What do you Well, see, I used absorbing? to do it, it's 
it was so much easier in New York when I lived in New York before I moved to Los Angeles I did improv so you felt mm -hmm. innately like part of a community you right. had like this home to go to this comedy theater that you went to and all of the people that you knew that were doing comedy and so and that hung out at the bar at the theater afterwards and so you had without even knowing that you were part of this community and so you don't realize what you have until it's gone you know yeah. and so I belong to the people's improv theater and coming out to the west coast they don't have a theater out here and so I just started leaning more into YouTube uh, and away from improv so I didn't you know get involved in any of yeah. the UCBs or anything out here and YouTube isn't in of itself a community but it's also a very alone community because right. you work solo unless you make a conscious effort to work with yeah, others right and so i feel like now i've been out here for like five years and i'm like oh i'm part of this disjointed disconnected digital community which does feel like i'm part yeah. of something but in a physical sense i don't have the same like camaraderie i had yeah, a lot of youtubers have that yeah. vibe when you get in the gatherings of youtubers it's really fascinating it's very fascinating to see how the psychology of everyone works yeah. interacting in real life with each other and that's why working on sets I value a lot more than mm -hmm. I used to. It used to just be a job I'd come and go and then go do like my work at home. Yeah. Um, but now I'm like, Mamrie and I started this new show and it's so wonderful to be surrounded by yeah. a familiar group of faces every week to go back and feel like, oh, social interaction with other yeah. people and getting to know people, even in a work sense, just feels really nice. And it's weird because people that work in offices, you know, have that yeah. every day, but it's very strange to like yeah. work online and have to like make efforts to go be around people. Well, I think I think sets in particular are truly magical, special places. They're like, weird little ecosystems. They're weird little ecosystems, a hundred percent. But they're also, to me, these they're ephemeral things because mm -hmm. no shoot. I mean, I've never been in. I mean, I've been on shows and you can feel it. But even a show that lasts for seasons and seasons, right? It's always it's for a season. It's for the shoot week or whatever. And there's it feels always like a weird little, era. Yeah, it's for an episode, whatever yeah. it is. It's always and uh, and not just that, but um, I remember the first job, the job I got my SAG card on. Was, Mm -hmm. Like uh, I was 16, 15, 16 and it was uh, it was called Stranger Than Fiction. Is this movie with Will Ferrell that Mark yeah. directed? And and I got this job. Uh, the audition was so dumb. The callback was dumb. We were supposed to like wait for a bus and imagine we just saw a woman got hit by a bus. Just for like one line parts. <laughs> there was no part in the script and they just God, gave I me a line. I hope that audition tape is Dude, somewhere out in the world. I do too. <laughs> uh, but there was like the scene was just in a bakery and literally I had one line. I think I said I, I, I said like or two uh, yeah and oh, thank you to Maggie Gyllenhaal <laughs> and then uh, I got my fucking sad card. There but, you go. Um, I remember being there in this bakery. Uh, I also got to talk to Will Ferrell. It was very exciting. We like stood very outside cool. because we would wait for our queue. And it was like, I went in and he was in line behind me. And then after I got my pumpkin muffin, he had a scene with Maggie Gyllenhaal. Uh, and I remember being like, fuck, dude, this is fucking Will Ferrell. Because like, yeah. he's already so funny. And I was like, I don't know. We talked about nothing. We he's talked about so like nice. Chicago weather. He was so nice. Yeah. But anyway, I had the epiphany, or not the epiphany. It's not like a brilliant thought, but it was just a, a weird sense that I was like, they were, they were moving to set up a shot and they were like moving they moved this uh counter out of the way that was there in the scene so mm -hmm. they could put the camera there to shoot up and i i don't know why it just it was like the first big 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 set and it's a huge fucking movie yeah and I, was, I had this moment where i was like this is the same as me and my dumb friends just yeah. with more people and money they're literally adult human beings moving stuff around so they can take a picture of somebody yeah. playing pretend yeah and that's so magical to me well it just it breaks the mystique of it in a very nice way. Yeah. It makes it feel less like, um, 
uh, uh, unavailable or unreachable or like unattainable yeah. in some yeah, and way. And also, I think just in a, it would just to me, uh, it, it brought this moment that I still think about all the time of just like the wonderful absurdity of of imagination of, of yeah. play. Um, telling stories and yeah. making movies that people take it very seriously. There's money and business and all these things and people yeah. yell at each other and they're like, this is my job and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, it's uh-huh. a bunch of grownups getting together, take pictures of each that, other, playing pretend. Exactly. There's, if you want to hear a really amazing interview, so Michael Rappaport has this podcast and he's a very opinionated man. Yeah. He's an actor. He interviews Mark Ruffalo and it's one of the greatest acting interviews I've ever heard because Mark, Mark Ruffalo, Ruffalo is the greatest person ever. He like calls in, he's like on a press tour, he's exhausted, but he gives him like a full hour of really fucking fascinating conversation. And he's just like, look, I'm not, um, um, who, who's a, who played Abe Lincoln? Uh, oh, Daniel Lewis? Yeah, he's like, I'm not Daniel Day Lewis. I go in, I read my lines. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm not, well, I, he's that, like, I value the job of acting. He's so pragmatic and funny and understands how dumb it is what he does. Yeah. But he also respects it and he respects the other people and how they operate and he goes in and he tries to be professional but he has this very healthy understanding that what they're doing is so silly yeah. and it was and he's so articulate and sweet about it it's a really great interview what I think is interesting about that because to me he's like he's just reached the other side of the true spiritual nature of it which yeah. is it is so silly that it's he, to me he's kind of doing the same thing as Dan Day-Lewis just yeah. coming at it from a different angle well he, well he talked about too that you know in all the Marvel movies or it's Marvel, right? That the whole thing. Yeah, so yeah. I don't want to start like nerd wars. Um, I do. No, yeah. it's DC. He's. I'm uh, pretty sure he's Batman. Yeah. Right. Uh, you old man. He he was talking about. He's like the scripts change every single day, and so for you to get in character and like really deep dive into your lines, you can't because on the fly yeah. you were given your lines that morning, and so you just have to say them. Yeah, that's why I uh, I always feel that way. I never learn lines. Like I, I haven't even yeah. even for full length plays. The last time I went home, uh, not meaning I don't learn lines, but the time I the last time I went home studied and like learned lines, I think was when I was eighteen. Because yeah. even in plays, you end up just like saying them and walking around they just they just burn into you yeah and I, I like almost never ha- on sets is the same thing yeah because yes they change so much and also especially the new media i think uh the culture of new media and this sort of you know multifaceted creators i think it's a lot less li- like they I'm, but the point i'm getting to is they let they let actors play more and, and make yeah. up stuff and get i their think thing. it's way more natural you someone's way more present when they're not having i know for myself i'm not like a fully trained actor but when yeah. someone gives me, if I know the essence, you're a very good actor, by the way. Thanks. I remember, I remember seeing um, Dirty Thirty, and I was like, "Damn, thanks. Uh, yeah, very good." Thanks. That was a really fun. It's you know always more comfortable playing pretend when you're with your friends, of course. You know, uh, and there's no like judgment on like how well you're gonna do because your friends are there to be like very real with you and you also value their opinions of yeah. stuff well you gotta create that like I mean it sounds funny but you gotta create a space you gotta create an allowable space yeah and I think part of the I think the discipline of acting is is more about being able to uh, have discipline to create your own allowable space and under any circumstances because obviously it's wonderful if it if you know directors yeah. should do their job and a set should do their job to create a good space for it yeah but and also yeah like I was saying it's just being present if I know the essence of what I'm supposed to be saying in a scene but I'm allowed to I don't have to remember that I have to say he was there I can say yeah he might have been there yeah and 
allow it to come out as naturally as I would say it as a human being, I feel like that's just a more, I don't know, you're more present instead of like thinking, what is my word I'm supposed to say? There's a, a David Mamet wrote a book about acting, about like uh, true and false, I think it's called. And I think honestly for anybody, I mean, I did get some requests to, to, I think I'll end up doing a podcast just about acting stuff. Yeah. but just a little bit here. I I think he I think he was being a bit of an asshole, just reacting to the time, like a bit extreme in it. Mm-hmm. But he basically his thing is that as an actor, your only job is to say lines yeah. and just say the lines. And he and he wrote this. Uh, he uses a quote at the beginning of the book. I think it was Jane, some actor, some actor from the studio system. This uh-huh. quote that he said. Uh, about what acting is and he said hit your mark look the other fellow in the eye and tell the truth and that's literally all acting should all be it is. and and that David Mamet goes in this thing about like he'd get actors who'd come up to him because he's a writer and be like oh uh you know where was my character in the winter of 1972 and this motivation and and David Mamet would be like he wasn't he only exists for these 90 pages he's only ink <laughs> on a page that's all he says yeah and, and that like I, there's some truism to like uh that I think could be extrapolated in an aspect of life where it's like uh all, everything you need to know is in the 90 page script that I gave you yeah. and that this need uh, this uh, this completion thing again this thing of like this yeah. need to know and be certain and say all these things uh, is not necessary yeah it's it's overanalyzing something that doesn't and that's what Mark Ruffalo talks about he's like he took acting classes he did all these things and he's like yeah that's, that works for some people but it's also yeah you're just you're reading lines and you're playing pretend and at the end of the day when you're on a set Time is actually money. And so mm-hmm. you don't necessarily have the time to fully develop this world of this character. You have to hit your mark and look at someone and say the words that are on the page so that the studio doesn't pay tens of thousands of dollars to keep you <sighs> repeating the line that you're missing. Yeah, man, that's crazy. Yeah, I, it's I think I don't think it would help me to think in those terms. I know. <laughs> I mean, like, I know that would stress me out way too I much. No, some but, people thrive under that. But he just presents it in a really wonderful way and hearing someone that has had such success that I think is such a great actor talk about how it's stupid like it's all very silly and that is just kind of it's relieving in a way to hear someone that's so successful say that and not and he yeah you can you can like hear the smile on his face when he talks about it and talking about how like Daniel Day Lewis is great I'm not him I can't do that I can't like do that yeah Yeah. well that I mean that's uh we talked about before like that's to the heart of I think like who I think of you as in my life in general is like this the uh, sacred stupidity basically oh, it's like the, the vast- only thing that keeps me going is understanding <laughs> that everything is stupid and that when I get really in touch with that core value I'm my happiest and I think that's when a lot of people are their happiest when they realize that everything is kind of stupid I literally this is so funny and this is something that is like such a between you and me moment that like driving yeah. over here I was listening to Miley Cyrus's We Can't Stop for whatever reason I got back into that song it's a banger and uh, I mean that's a very you thing yeah. is the pick one song and that's my song on repeat yeah that's for... a psychopath thing too <laughs> <laughs> so I was driving up this road and there was a man that had a baby and a baby Bjorn on his front and he was rubbing the head of the baby and the baby Bjorn but it was perfectly on beat with we can't stop when i drove by and he was just rubbing this head and i was like yes yes yes. this one little slice of life moment that no one else around me knows is happening but me is the dumbest thing i started cracking up in my car oh my god also you live around the corner from hannah Mm -hmm. and i literally drove around and saw her (laughs) building and looked up and like said out loud in my car like hi hannah to her (laughs) but even more than that i saw her fucking cat lady in the 
corner of her window staring down at me. And I was like, oh my God, ladies. <laughs> and it was like back to back moments. And I was like, life is so dumb sometimes. Yeah. This is, I was like, of course I'm going to do Jared's podcast right now. Oh, and these yeah. two th- moments just happened. <laughs> I fucking, uh, I talk out, I talk all the time. Out, out loud, loud in your car? Oh yeah. All the yeah. time. I do uh, that at yeah. home with my dog. I just have full conversations like she's a human being. And do I'm you? like, oh, constantly yeah that makes sense i talk to her all the time and uh it, i mean the government has transcripts of me being a psychopath in my house do you just, have one of those uh alexis no they're all in my closet yeah, unplugged no, fuck that. <laughs> i know i felt bad my brother my older brother got me one for christmas and i had a google home that like youtube gave us as like creator gifts yeah. and my friend jocelyn her brother used to work for google and he told her he's like those are the f- easiest things for anyone to tap into and listen in your home yeah, fuck and that. so she was like nope i'm done with it and i was like got it me too i'm bad with technology anyway even if i plugged it in i would forget to use it yeah. for anything i'm prone to conspiracy theory stuff anyway mm-hmm. but like i i think the the weirdest thing i don't know the weirdest thing about that to me is connected to that whole like oh uh the government's gonna put microchips in us and they're gonna track everything we do is oh it didn't need to because we pay a hundred thousand dollars to carry it on our pocket yeah and then we're like it's gonna make our life easier Oh, they're gonna bug your house. They're gonna. Well, actually, I'd like to just buy one of those bugs and put it in my house. Yeah, I like it to track and listen to everything I do. I think that's so weird. And I have feel you like had there's... the things where you talk about something near your phone and then you turn oh, your phone yeah. on and the ads are up of there? Of course, of yeah. course. And that's so fucking weird. And weird. I don't know. There's aspects of it that are I understand convenient, but there is a part of it too to me that is like related to some like weird human instinct towards like self-immolation, towards like manifesting your fears. Mm-hmm. Like, did you see Annihilation? That movie with no. it's really fucking good it's so fucking good but there's this thing she talks about in it and that is kind of like the theme of the movie they talk about like the first scene she's like the cellular biologist that like basically basically we're not supposed to age we're not supposed to die cells are not supposed to degrade like they're supposed to just perfectly recreate themselves okay and that there is something in them in our genetic dna in our actual mechanism that self-destructs oh. and it's kind of like a theme of the movie is like this instinct towards Literally, uh, a Santa hat just fell in your closet right really? after you said self-destruct. That's uh, really spectacular. Yeah, oh, my the symbolism. God. Yeah, I, what is he's coming down the chimney. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know, and I just think that there's something to that that is like sometimes we I don't know I think the way like science fiction uh, mm-hmm. it's in good ways and bad ways people will dream something up they'll dream up these um, I, re- I heard this whole podcast about like the Star Trek communicators that flips up yeah. in Star Trek like from the whatever the original one they'd be like they'd flip up and forward and they'd be like hello whatever yeah. and then years later this cell phone company makes this first flip phone and uh and everyone was like, wouldn't buy it, and they thought it was weird. And and the and the designers, they brought some new designers in, and they mm-hmm. see the flip phone, and the flip phone flipped down, like you'd open it down, and that's where you talk uh. into. And then the, and the designers said, oh, you designed this backwards, which is a funny thing to say. It had never existed before. And they're right. like, what do you mean? And he's like, no, you designed it back. It's supposed to flip up because we've all because of the Star Trek yeah. that everyone's seen. And then they switched it to a flipped up, and that's and everybody started buying them like crazy. Like the phone flips up, oh, and so weird. it's this thing where like humans will dream something up and then make it happen. Well, that's yeah, all of those like Spielberg movies that are projecting what's going to happen in the future, like hover cars and self driving cars and all of that stuff. But then they also just brought back like the Matrix phone. Oh yeah, the yeah. one that goes. 
that like switches yeah, down. Yeah, like whoever T-Mobile or Samsung or someone like is bringing it back. I don't know if it's gimmicky or what, yeah. but it's like the Matrix phone is back. I was like, yeah. was that weird? A thing? Well, like, I mean, I think there's there's like a sort of uh, move the dumb phone idea. Is it, I mean, it appeals to me. Oh yeah, where it's just literally yeah. for calling. The honest thing, if I could keep maps, then I would do that maybe. Yeah, if there was something that was like only Safari or Google. Yeah. Only a uh, call and text and maps. I think yeah. that's just me taking off social media. I can yeah, make basically. my phone a dumb you phone if I it. want to. You can do it. Just, I, was, I, I have so the funny free will to. As I'm sitting here, I'm like, yeah, if it had that. And then, well, also, if, if it had, also if it had Instagram, that would be yeah, cool. Yeah, I mean, Twitter I need for news. Yeah, so. yeah. maybe, uh, maybe like on Postmates. If we have Postmates, that'd be cool. Yeah. And Lyft. I do use Lyft. Yeah. So suddenly I'm back. I need to edit cool. my photos. So like a photo editor would be great. Uh, I do use iMovie sometimes. So I'm oh, really? going to need iMovie on there. Yeah, I don't know. That's funny. But I just think that that thing that happens in culture also like does and that's the thing with the phone oh people are like they're gonna the government's gonna watch you and do all this stuff we're gonna write big brother and then we actually create we it. have big and brother the, yeah I don't know, there's something about that that i think that we do in our personal lives too which is i guess like the secret that idea of like manifestation nonsense yeah. but i really do think like we pick subconscious uh branching paths sometimes and they tend to be towards our fears like towards our destruction oh yeah yeah the i mean there's I have this weird phrase that I not weird phrase but this like philosophy of like follow your fear um, when they're good fears like follow things that make you nervous or anxious or fearful um, it's an improv like uh-huh. phrase that you know like follow your foot follow your fear like go walk onto stage even if you don't know what you're going to say right um, and just see what happens and be okay like free falling in that world um, and so I think that there's a lot of tie-ins to like real pragmatic life oh yeah situations that are like follow your fear like people constantly are making like lists like things i'm gonna get over accomplish this year or things like phobias or i'm gonna learn to drive or i'm gonna do x y and z and um i actually yesterday was like getting ready and um got recommended this vanity i think it was vanity fair variety where they followed bella thorne around Mm Um, and it's like this short film and it was and I was absolutely ready to be like this girl mm-hmm. I watched it I cannot recommend it enough oh, wow. she is so fascinating and it was such a fascinating little slice of life into like who she really is now as an adult from being like a child actress and she's so much more fascinating interesting and grounded and smart and just like really I was so uh, surprisingly blown away by it and it's like a 19 minute short film on YouTube and it's like called like a day or the life of Bella Thorne or something like a look into Bella Thorne's life it's so interesting and at the end they say like is there because she talks all about how um, you know she was this Disney actress and her mom like really pushed her into doing it when she was 18 she kind of broke free and now she's having this like very free flowy artist phase sort Mm. of thing and how people judge her constantly and it was really interesting to see her just like take hold of like her identity and like in a healthy way and then at the end they ask her is there anything else that you want to say before we wrap up and she's in her house and there's like a big there's like a big giant dinosaur behind her and all this like artist stuff Mm -hmm. everywhere um and she's like 20 years old i think now and she just pauses for a while and it's all uncut and she goes if you're looking at me and you're judging me right now i know you are i know you are stop close your eyes take a breath open your eyes what do you see now 
and she just looks at the camera and it was like one of the most powerful things mm. and I was like this girl just got me so hard because I came into it like reserving judgment but with judgment still and I was like this is Damn. so absolutely wonderful um, it was just one of those did you experience I mean that the uh, newness or like did you did that just make you pause and go well, oh, I, had, I, I feel like I had already throughout like the 19 minutes have been like, I'm on her. I get her now. Yeah. This is a really wonderful little piece. And I I like things like this because I like seeing the real person behind whatever the magazines create as a character fiction for yeah. someone. Um, and at the end, I was just like, that's so profound. I'm already like on board, like Team Bella. Yeah. But I can imagine someone else having a moment there that I was like, that's what a because she paused for so long that I'm like what's she gonna say mm-hmm. how's she gonna end it now this build up has to be a really great ending and I was just very um, it, it, was, it was very delightful to see it's interesting because just the the pausing that she creates creates a, a and she's an actress so you never know like I reserve no, the no, re- no no yeah I mean that's part of the performance but that works like, yeah. the, like messing with people's rhythm to make them go, oh, wait, I mean, that's a fighting thing. Like, yeah. you're literally trying to break someone's rhythm so that they, we go, wait, what? Yeah. And then the thing she's suggesting is the same thing. The breath, there's something that implicitly in a, in a darkness, like, in and out moment, mm-hmm. it truly creates a strange resetting Refresh. Yeah. that uh, is unconscious, I suppose. Yeah, it was very cool. It was just one of those things where I was like, kind of passively watching it, thinking it was cool. And then at the end, I was just like, stopped everything I was doing. So I was so mesmerized by that moment that I uh, highly recommend. Yeah, well, I wonder that because that, I do think that's connected to uh, a fear thing also. I mean, fear, fear, I always think about. I have a weird relationship with fear. I think everybody does. Yeah. But um, I remember oh, I remember when I was a little kid, I decided I wanted to be a brave person. Mm-hmm. And that uh, because that's what that I thought was admirable. And, and that, that's that, also what you're fed heroes your whole of course. Yeah, of course. Like all, that's exactly right. Like any women, girls are fed princesses and boys are fed heroes. Yeah, I think that. I think that in the most basic sense. In the most basic sense, for sure, for sure. Which is, I mean, well, we'll get. Let's get into that. Unfortunate. It should be that that everyone's fed everything. Everyone. Yes, it should be exactly. Mm -hmm. It should be everything's fed every everything. We're definitely. Oh man. All right. Let me finish fear. Yeah, I can already see ten thousand tangents happening ahead of you. It's funny. Whatever mode I'm in right now, maybe it's like because it's sort of earlier in the day or something. uh, It's nice because a, a thing that happens on here a lot is. Uh, we spider web real fast. My brain yeah. goes Ksh, it, like <laughs> so you'll say something, and then it is it sincerely feels like a baseball hitting my windshield, yeah. and I just go, "Wow, oh, yeah. that's so many ideas!" Uh, <laughs> and I and we just pick one, and then I try to spider web back to the other ones, and it becomes overwhelming. But this is uh, the pace feels really nice for some reason. It's a hummingbird came by and was like checking in, guys, yeah, making yeah, sure. Hey, chill, y'all. Hey. Uh, hey, see how I can go really fast, yeah. but also just kind of. I look smooth. like I'm gonna explode. Yeah, you guys I'm gonna, chill. I'm gonna explode, but I'm also just here. <laughs> you can do that. You can do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. That's how we're all existing out. all the time. They're also cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, the fear thing. So I was like, okay, being brave means that uh, if something scares me, I got to do it. Right. And that was helpful for a period of time. But I realized later, the more mature sense about fear becomes, well, any stimulus. If I am reacting uh, because of it, I'm afraid, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do it. Then yes, it's controlling me. But if I am reacting uh, in a, a objection to it or in defiance of it, it's also controlling me. Mm-hmm. If someone then could the universe or some person or something can go like, oh, I know if I create this stimulus, he'll do that. If 
like you know Marty yeah. McFly call him a chicken and he'll do it <laughs> and um, and I was like well damn that means this thing that I thought was not controlling me because I'm resisting and I'm defying it mm-hmm. is absolutely still controlling me hmm. you know which becomes that like need to know completion thing too is yeah. like I need to be part of this narrative all the time and so uh, my favorite fear thing from pop culture that I've loved since I was a kid and started to make more sense um, mm-hmm. was uh, do you know do you know you read Dune you know that that book or hear of I it? I've heard of it. I've never read it. Yeah, it's just like a famous uh, whatever. It's a very popular science fiction book, and uh, there's this Benny Gesserit litany against fear. They say in it or Benny okay. Gesserit, and uh, I repeated to myself. My brothers repeated to myself. It's very famous, but it goes uh, it's vaguely like um, I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that leads to total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will let it pass over me and through me. And where it has gone, I will turn the inner eye to myself. Uh, and only I will remain. It's like where the fear has been, only I will remain. And that idea of when you experience a fear... So how would you, in layman's terms, explain that? Yeah, so, so uh, if I have a fear, or mm-hmm. in this, uh, which I would I would suggest also is a source of judgment, or I see Bella Thorne, I have a judgment mm-hmm. or something like that. Let's just stay on fear, though. If I have a fearful response to something like that, um, the ability to have a mechanism now that goes that doesn't say that when somebody says to you you're a certain person you go no I'm not right. uh, that says um, or yes I am whatever that like says okay somebody says something I get a stimulus of fear um, instead of automatically responding instead of a, of a brain gate a firewall put in now that goes like pause what's happening yeah. what are you doing oh you're feeling fear okay let's let's feel that fear let's look at yeah. it. What's it don't try to resist it and shove it out because suddenly you're going to be in, responding in a state where you're trying to clench and keep it yeah. out and that's not real that's panic that's anxiety so feel it feel all that fear what's that fear feel like what's it look like it's going to go all through my body all fuck it turns my guts to jelly it feels really bad but suddenly that's just reality no big deal mm-hmm. it's a thing you experience by resisting it you're you're prolonging it you're now like living in the fear of the fear yeah so you feel the fear okay now i'm still me and then you look where the fear has been you go oh i'm still me the yeah. fear didn't change me i didn't get killed by the fear now that i'm still me what do i feel or what do i want to do mm-hmm. from this space of just being me having acknowledged uh, like a cheesecloth I am a cheese <laughs> No, but I think that's so like, no, yeah. That's, I used to do this um, like group meditation stuff in New York um, a few times because uh, when I was in college, I dated a guy that was um, very interested in how like the brain works and meditation and hallucinogenics and, and all of that sort of thing. And um, he and my friend and I would go to these group meditations and it was very much that um, that exact sort of mentality of whatever feeling you're experiencing of discomfort, whether it's fear, whether it's anxiety, the worst thing you can do is try to fight it. You have to experience it, like let it just pass through you. It's literally like eating something, like it's gonna pass through you. Fear isn't gonna get stuck in your throat and you're gonna choke on it for the rest of your life uh, unless you choose to. Like you have to let it, acknowledge it and just let it go in a way which is so much easier said than done obviously yeah. in the brain but, but man, i really that one moment p.s i just want to like that uh fears what is it fears not gonna get stuck in your throat you're not gonna choke in it you're not gonna choke and die damn that's really good though but that's what you're saying is yeah. that once you it passes through and then you're still you at the yeah, end that's of just it such a visceral like truism like yeah because i think we 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 fear things because we think it's going to end us in some way like completely i i always think because i'm actually working on a third book that's based solely on fear and it's based Ooh. on like anxiety and fears yeah. and how they've manifested in my life and like essays and short stories based on like that. that kind of thing yeah and 
ironically enough, I'm having a very difficult time starting it, which yeah. is, I think, innately a fear of writing a book about fear. Well, also, and, I think, if I may be so bold, yeah. I feel like you're digging into real you. Yeah, and, and that's and a real, side that's that scary, I haven't... Man. It is super scary, and it's also one of those things where I've been online and explaining like my story for so long that I'm like, what is my story? You know, it's been told in so many different ways, but like, what's the reality of it to me if I want to sit down and write it, and how do I want to shape it, and like all of that but like you get used to I mean that's an interesting thing I, I mean yeah I be, you tell I, your own stories for so long that yeah. you're like is this my story right I've just been saying this thing but is this really how I, I live mean, my life for you like when it becomes part of your work your business yeah. your life your identity is right. like something and there's a healthy amount of you know telling what you want to tell online about yourself and reserving who you are behind the scenes especially for me that's been very true yeah um, well I mean I, what's the, what is your I mean I do want to keep on this yeah, yeah. thing but um, what is your relationship to Grace on the screen well I've always had this thing when I first started making videos and doing comedy in New York that comedy was first in my personal life and like mm. myself as Grace Helbig is second or third at least um like i wasn't presenting a reality show i was presenting creative comedy content and obviously with comedy it's based on your perspective of the world which comes from your personal experiences yeah. which comes from your day in and day out life um so you can't it's impossible to completely hide who you are experiences you've had if you want to make jokes about them, if you want to be a storyteller in some way. Um, so yeah, I don't think you can tell the, I don't think you can be funny without telling the truth. Exactly. And that's what makes stuff funny is that you can relate to personal experiences because people have had personal experiences that are similar. And so it's been this kind of just sort of checks and balances throughout my internet life of how much I want to reveal about myself. And I think as I get older, I'm much more comfortable Mm. I think and that's something everyone says is that you just start you stop giving a shit yeah. as you get older. Dude, well, I, was, I was talking to my buddy uh, I was talking to Jason about this because yeah. he's my roommate and my dear dear friend and he's in his 30s and I'm in my 30s now and yeah. we were joking that like both of us don't have kids we dodged the, we dodged the dad bullet dodged but those we've, bullets. we've become uh, dad age Yeah, and like the things that we associate with uh, dads because of like as as a uh, somehow some something coming out of not giving a shit because they have kids now or whatever uh-huh. act is happening to us like yeah. our, our fashion and our choices oh, or not yeah. giving a shit and we're like maybe it's the dad thing's just a function of age just <laughs> yeah. you get to a place where you're like oh wait I don't give a shit and I and stupid things are, are even funnier to me like oh, puns yeah. and dumb shit and things aren't as important as they used to be uh, and you become like, like satisfied with like simple pleasures and you become just kind of satisfied with openness um like yeah. Mamrie and I, I think have always operated the same way of making sure that our personal lives were held back and for us and not for the internet and we've both now reached this kind of like renaissance of self a little bit that's like it's okay to mm-hmm. put out there who you're hanging out with what you're doing like being a little bit more personal and it doesn't affect the business side of what you're doing at all yeah because i mean i watch reality television because i'm fascinated by like the human experience even though that's very obviously curated but uh i think humans are infinitely interesting and so I have to start participating if I want to take from it. So it's, yeah, it's been, but it's also very scary when you put yourself out there, you can't take it back in any like, you know, social sense digitally. That is true. That is true. But I also think you're right that the the irony of that is that, uh, yeah, you can't take it back. Right. But also once you start just putting out truth, you're like, well, 
why would I take it back? That's real. Yeah. Like, you know? And also not that important. Like everything's so transient. We're so like moving right. along. Well, I think that's why this Bella Thorne thing affected me so much because she was so uh, unabashedly like, I know people judge me. I know people have criticisms over like that I smoke weed or that I'm making stupid music or that I look this way or color my hair this way. I know that, but this is who I am and you can take it or leave it. And she was just so confident in that. And yet still having shades of like anxiety and like worrying that there's a paparazzi outside of her house and she's got acne all over her face. And she's like, I don't want to wear makeup today. And she's like learning to drive a car and the paparazzi's like trying to take photos. And the guy's like, turn left. She's like, I don't want to turn left. There's a paparazzi right there. And I don't want him to take a photo of me like hitting a car or something. So she has this whole other level of unrelatable issues, but she comes at it from like a very relatable, sense of I just want to be who I am and I'm trying to not let judgments affect me yeah it's interesting because that judgment thing and the compl- like the, 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 the thing she said seems because okay, my instinct is this still is to say well I would set thresholds for myself if I had paparazzi <laughs> and now I'd be like I don't give a fuck about paparazzi because I'm just being me and blah blah but actually the true honesty of like moment to moment being like that's a thing and I don't like that thing and I don't want to do that now and some days maybe I would maybe yeah. some days I'd be like hey take pictures of my acne but that kind of like but constant checking in that like close your eyes breathe and look at it again yeah is like a a, a much truer I mean I think it's important that um Especially in like trying to be better people, like trying mm-hmm. to be in, intrinsically motivating ourselves, moving ourselves towards being a better version of ourselves. Yeah. It's important to go like, I need to acknowledge the, my humanity, my smallness, which means days when I'm spiritually small mm-hmm. or like petty or scared or fucked up that um, I gain nothing by pretending I'm not experiencing those things and being right. that way. Right. No, I'm 100% with you. And I just had this thought that the paparazzi thing that she deals with is very closely aligned to the idea of Alexa's being government watched, that we're all just being watched and observed. And do we want our privacy or do we want to be observed? And like, where is... That is is interesting. Yeah, where is that... Do we want somebody who observes us so that we can say, don't look at me? Right, exactly. Do we want that attention to so so that we can say that we're controlling them going away from us? Oh, well, I do think you've tapped on something like, there is that thing about an observed life, like... Right, that, that, which like, is obviously what people do by posting social media. You want people to look right. at you. You want people to watch you. You want people to see you, but you want to control how much they see. And yeah. then when someone like mm. an Alexa or a paparazzi takes the control away from you and like gets into like finds a crack and gets in, yeah. that's when the panic sets in. That it's like, no, now I'm not in control of like who gets to see me and when and how. Well, I'm definitely not perfect about this, but I think that like the um the relationship to my uh, body has always Oh yeah, always... you've been having a big thing on Instagram lately. What do you mean? With your body and I like doing that. all the Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, sure, sure. That's fair. Yeah, so this is I um so my and, I, and when I say people say body that we instantly think like our our muscles and bones and aesthetic and wet that kind of thing. But I genuinely like my face, my body that this this embodiment of me in this mm-hmm. dimension has always been a weird one. And <clears throat> especially with then, you know, uh, it started definitely like body image issues when I was a little kid or whatever, being like mm-hmm. feeling like ugly and things. Now looking back, you realize, oh, that's just a hole in your heart. You're like, yeah. Yeah. You were a chunky little kid, but also like you're beautiful. You're like you're right. precious, you know, you're feeling also, of, like you're a child. Yeah. And nobody, <laughs> and nobody cares. And, and the, yeah. the, you know, you learn to hate yourself it has nothing to do with what you really are, but that that relationship, uh, 
I don't know, I started to dissociate, I think, at that point. I already didn't feel connected to it in the sense of whatever. It's a, it's a constant conversation of uh, ownership over this thing and respect and stewardship for it, mm-hmm. but not a true identifying with it. Mm-hmm. But that um, this this relationship, uh, especially when you add social media into it, but it's in our micro lives too of this like subject-object relationship. That this is this is this thing that I'm putting out there. Yeah. And uh, I know, I think I think combat sports helped a little bit too of like this, this feeling. I realized in the culture, people like scales and your weight and like oh and hating yourselves and that association mm-hmm. and I started to with uh, combat sports be like it's just a weight class it's just yeah. like I go up and down and I can control that but all that that thing of not attaching moral value and feeling to it but more than that that there feels like something strangely healthy uh, about uh, and also weird about like my body uh, and and that my and related to it, my personage as you present it in the world is a strange art project. Yeah. Not, not in the sense of it's perfect. I'm gonna make it beautiful. Sometimes I'm trying to do that, but like that, it's okay and even kind of good to recognize that as soon as you take a photo of me, you've created another version. You've created a character. You've created a, a an artwork, an aesthetic of me. Yeah. And that you can have fun with that and and be like, don't not feel so like are people hating me online? Are they liking me online? Mm-hmm. Whatever, whatever you're doing, that it's and it's okay to play with it and manipulate it and, yeah. and be like, that's not me. It's something that came from me yeah no I had this um, so I had an eating disorder in college and I wrote about it in the last book um, and I want to write about it more in this upcoming book and I remember I used to like write a lot because I was really really sad and I felt really lonely at that time and I was very much at odds with my physical appearance and my mental like wellness and I remember when I decided I wanted to write in the last book the opening about that um, I went back and found in notebooks that uh I think I wrote that your your body is just um, uh, like a shell for your personality. Mm. So the aesthetics of your shell are not the value. It's like the intrinsic personality and brain that's inside of whatever shell it is. You can only control your outer shell to such degree, but it's like the brain and the personality that is the most valuable temple that you mm-hmm. need to like keep well and I remember going back and reading that and remember writing it and feeling like very comforted by that moment still not fully believing it but yeah. like fundamentally believing it yeah. but not intrinsically believing it and then going back and being like oh yeah that was the start and really like pivot point of me starting to understand my relationship with my body and I've had a real like interesting thing and you and I have talked about this before lately especially coming off of Wrestlemania of like I want my body to be able to do things like I don't want it to weigh a certain weight I don't want it to like you know fit into a certain size jean like I want to be able to like do a back bend I want to be able to do like physical things I want to be able to like lift things I want like that to me is starting to become more valuable than like looking a certain way in a dress a hundred percent I think bam okay bam 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 <laughs> damn bam you uh give me a million fucking thoughts again, and I'm like <laughs> where, where do I pause well okay first I just want to say a brief thing about I think it is very important what you said about my brain and my personality mm-hmm. I think it's actually really wonderful too then to to when you start to realize like oh my brain is also part of that body yeah and that like uh the same way like hey i wasn't born six seven it's gonna be really hard for me to dunk a basketball Mm -hmm. like your brain is shaped in a certain way and gets a certain uh way it shaped uh its molecule chemical drips and stuff that 
you don't have to associate because I think that's a hard thing for some people. Some people I think can hop the hop the fence and go like, "Hey, this is the body I got," you know. Right. I, I'm this muscular or not, or this skinny or not, or whatever, and that's just who I am. But it's not me. Right. But then it's a it's another level to go. Uh, they'll still beat themselves up about like, but why do I feel so bad about that? Or right. why can't I get over? It? Why can't I motivate myself better? Why can't I? Why is my willpower failing all the time? Or blah blah. I'm so weak, you know, or whatever. Or even feeling guilty about feeling bad about your body and and being like I'm failing with my body positivity mm-hmm. or whatever. And I think it's important to give credit to the fact that hey, the same way um, it, you might not have uh, be a world class sprinter right. because and you never will be because you didn't get those muscle fibers. Maybe your brain is shaped in it. You don't have to associate value as much with it, and and start to just appreciate it for what it is, yeah. and care for it for what it is, and and approach it the same way. We're like. You can, no matter who you are, run faster or mm-hmm. jump higher or become more flexible. Like these are these are attainable for everybody to improve yourself. Right. But to not feel like I don't. No, most people don't fucking feel bad and beat themselves up and be like, I'm so fucked up for not being an NBA player right. if they're not like a giant t- tall person who right. can do those things. You know. Um. I think that's really important to go like. So if you have a brain that also. I don't know I start to get down these holes of there's no end to them like I, I never want to take away people's agency mm-hmm. in the sense that I think we have we struggle with uh, understanding that you can both not blame victims you mm-hmm. can both not victim shame and encourage people to take responsibility for their own selves mm-hmm. because it feels like we got to get in a, a camp of either or right and saying in me saying I don't know how much credit we could give to willpower ever because even your capacity for willpower is in some measure defined by the brain that you got. Yeah, Your ability exactly. to overcome, you your know? Your ability to disassociate from, like, your subconscious versus conscious brain is, like... Is in part, like, a physically controlled thing that you might have limited for you. Yeah, but I'm sure you I don't want to discourage this. people from trying. Yeah, I'm sure you talked about this with Miles, too. Like, some people are just, like, chemically different than others. And um, yeah. I just had Maya Bialik on my podcast and she um, is a neuroscientist. Like she went to UCLA yeah. or USC um, and got her PhD. And so she's she wrote, she wrote this book called um, Girlism, I think. And then she has a new book out called Boyism that you would, you have to get it. Cool. I'm going to buy it for you if yeah, you don't please. get it. Because it's all about explaining scientifically how boys and girls are different um and so but then explaining a lot about like toxic masculinity and like why boys should be like um can do x y and z because she has two sons and it's the way she describes it is just really fascinating about like laying out the scientific playing field of like how testosterone makes boys able to do things that girls cannot do mm-hmm. but on an emotional scale um like the way that sensitivities and feelings should be presented to um boys and girls collectively it sounds really really fascinating yeah. and completely up your alley yeah I, I i really would love to read that i mean i think that stuff's so important uh connected to intellectual ideas i mean i was talking to zeke about this the other day mm-hmm. um who i've known because we met and he's a comedy uh producer like creative right he's like so creative and and obviously sober he's he's worked so long he's very introspective and able to express himself he's worked at that but we met doing combat sports which he still does oh, and he cool. surfs and does things like that and uh he talks about this thing that is uh that if he doesn't exercise or moderate it or do things this weird instinct to he says uh to break and fuck things you know to break things yeah. and fuck things and that there's this uh weird it, it's it's um 
people who don't have that, and that could be boys who don't have that too mm-hmm. as much. Maybe they don't have the chemical, the testosterone as much or whatever, however that it all mixes them that they don't. And so if you don't feel that, you just assume people are monsters because they right. like to do aggressive things and whatever. Sure. And not giving credence to like, hey, it's not our fault sometimes. There's a chemical imbalance that might be happening. Yeah, right there's, a, there's a thing that I'm born with that yeah. is like, it's not just toxic masculinity. It's right. not just that boys are supposed to be this way and not this way. It's like me as... I mean, I'm the fucking most sensitive ass, weirdo, <laughs> like uh, girly guy feelings, whatever nonsense yeah, on the planet. You're talking, your toenails are painted purple right now. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, man, I have that. I love fighting. Yeah. I love like fighting and, and realizing that there are safe ways to express every, I think mm-hmm. this is like a dark thing people don't want to talk about in our society. Like I think we've started to destigmatize sexuality a lot more like this, like Eros like, and saying like, Hey, people have sexual impulses. Like yeah. everybody looks at porn or has like things or whatever and whatever you're into, no kink shaming. And that's a whole thing. And mm-hmm. starting to normalize, like that's a part of every person. Yeah. I think the death instinct is something that, uh, hopefully we'll be able to converse more about because, um, right now I think you see this really toxic divide of either uh, uh, among males and toxic masculine sort of like expression or culture that's either um, extreme shame and internalized shame and internalized like I don't feel any of that stuff I'm not no I'm a good guy and I don't like any of that or um, you have a revolt saying like oh what I'm not allowed to feel these male feelings these quote unquote male feelings fuck you I'm gonna go all the way with them and machine guns and whiskey and fucking chicks and bikinis and like that (laughs) that this idea that you couldn't uh, say I know we're very complicated and mm-hmm. there's a reason why when you were a bait, a toddler, somebody give you a teddy bear and you turn it into a gun and go pow, pow. Like this right. instinct, this attraction you have towards violence isn't abnormal and mm-hmm. it's not even learned. It's like there is something in our bones that is attracted to certain things for some people, yeah. for a lot of us. I mean, hunters and gatherers, right? Exactly. Like, yeah, it's kind of, it's been happening forever. And how did, I mean... How did that, how did hunting and gathering, how did women staying back and men going and hunting, how did that even begin when language wasn't even a thing? Like if cavemen and cavewomen like could not actually communicate other than grunts and groans, like how did those roles get established? Right. And how did they evolve over time? Which is very strange. Exactly. And then with evolution too, that's a good, that's a good, like it was selected for by nature. Mm-hmm. Like it, there are, there are species in nature, like hyenas that are um, matriarchal. We're like, yeah. for whatever reason, evolution selected for whatever reason, the women started larger yeah. and they kept being larger and stronger. I mean, and what is it? Praying mantises. The woman bites the head off the guy yeah. after she has sex. With yeah. Him. <laughs> and it's just, it just so happens. I think it's probably related somehow to like gestation periods or something mm-hmm. like that. Like that. If there was, if the female, of the species is going to spend nine months out of the year, um, or let's say four when it's like a heavy part of the price, yeah. where it's going to be like less likely that they can move around and hunt and run and jump as much mm-hmm. probably that would result in the males of the species who spend Having less to time go, doing that yeah. being the ones moving around and therefore would select for over time mm-hmm. that is not something but that would get selected for and that now you do have a thing where it's like hey, so, uh, hey boys do have a certain uh, by and large as a whole like whatever getting I know gender n- non-binary stuff I don't believe in anybody being a certain way right. because of it same but, I do believe it reflects my experience that there are shit that's associated as guy shit mm-hmm. that a fucking undeniably attracts me 
since I was a kid, like weapons and fighting and stuff like that. And uh, and I think it's important to acknowledge those parts of ourselves so we can safely interact with them. Mm-hmm. And that's that was my attraction to combat sports. There's a huge difference between um, that aggression coming out with people you care about in arguments, a kind of instinct towards violence, looking for fights, or legitimately getting in fights out on the street mm-hmm. and creating an environment with other people that's respectful, safe, consensual, yeah. you're trained, and you get it out together. That's actually interesting, yeah, because I hate, I hate violence. As like a human being I just right. do not enjoy it It makes me uncomfortable It makes me nauseous It gives me hives But I dated someone That was really interested In UFC And so I slowly started I, I was very Like Adverse to it Because I was just like No I don't want to watch Men beat each other up I just right. don't want to And when he started To explain it to me more And I would like Slowly Watch more fights I understood The sport behind it And the respect behind it And the fact that There is strategy And there is planning And it's not just A drunken bar fight In the middle of this ring Right It's an actual Like athletic event And when it's done It's done They don't keep fighting It's over They shake yeah. hands They hug It's like A very respectful moderated contained controlled environment and it made me respect it as a viewer much more because without educating myself on it i just saw it as like a drunken bar fight in a cage that i don't want to be part of bond that's created i mean i saw somebody post the other day this fight this uh, picture of him and this guy he just finished a fight with in a cage i think it was like uriah hall or something like that Uh and they're kneeling there like all like exhausted they just beat each other to a pulp and yeah. he go and like a month later they became roommates like he uh, was like they there's this weird bond I mean caveat I, Conor McGregor is the um yeah, uh, yeah Conor McGregor but he's such a weird showman he's he's such an entertainer he's closer to a pro wrestler he puts he, it but he's he, also a psychopath he's, that like he's took definitely it too a lunatic, far dude. Yeah. he's taking it way too far they, that's, yeah. a, that's it's outside of the realm of sport I mean it's that, not just that, gross yeah that gets us into to me that gets into like that whole thing again of like the object subject if you can't divorce yourself from the person that you put out there and you keep Mm -hmm. believing it and you keep believing it you don't check in with yourself yeah when you break down because you don't think you have control and that you break to like a desperate level to get control which it seems like was his scenario yeah it's madness and it's yeah that's the part that's gross and unfortunately like then I feel bad for the other members of UFC because now this whole like blanket is put over them as yeah. like these crazy Neanderthals. Well, that are- to some degree, and people will always see that about fight sports people anyway. Yeah, I mean Mike Tyson um, is a, a just a fascinating figure if you watch some of his stuff and no, learning about his childhood and like how how he was he was a criminal, you know, and he was in this mm. horrible environment and he became this boxer and so he says some stuff that is so fascinating so prescient about like people wanted me to be this he's like i think he says gorilla he's like they want me to be this gorilla they want me to be this gladiator hmm. and that's what i and that's who i was that's what i would do for them and i yeah. would they wanted me to be this scary killer and so and that hearing him talk about it like being able to reflect upon it now and be like I just did what everybody wanted me to be. I gave them what they wanted. Yeah. Yeah, which is so bizarre to feel like a puppet. Yeah. You know, it's so honest. I just watched the Andre the Giant documentary. Dude, the second person said this. I gotta see this. Gotta watch it. It's really great. And it's also sad and touches on like so many of these things that it's, uh, yeah, it's really fascinating. I won't say too much about it because you should watch it and do an episode about it because it's really great. Well, but I, so 
to me, this attraction of violence in in uh, in boys uh, potentially, I, and just humans, I think in general, and being allowed to recognize that and how much of that instinct you have and be able to safely discuss it, uh, mm-hmm. I think is super important. And it's kind. Of, I mean, you love pro wrestling now. I like, love pro wrestling. I mean, I love it because it's this weird cross section of fighting sports and theater. Yeah, there's a weird, beautiful, like sensitive art form kind of enmeshed in this like very aggressive kind of you know. Right body to body combat yeah, yeah and there's this weird dance that happens that yeah. i love and it's very much improvised too yeah that it's Ooh, yeah that's yeah there's a lot and uh i was just brooks was telling me that he listened to john cena do an interview on i think mark maron's pot or no on nerdist he was mm-hmm. on nerdist recently and he was talking about how all the new guys that are coming up very much talk by beforehand and like choreograph all of their matches and he's like I still don't do that all the old guys we just get in we'll talk kind of loosely about what we're gonna do but it's completely improvised that's cool it's super cool it makes me respect it so much more but I do understand why the new guys are choreographing it because they're doing insane shit off the ropes and stuff like that it's very gymnastics oriented which is cool to watch and is a greater show and obviously the more choreographing the less injury it would happen but it is because it is an injury-laden sport. Exactly. I would say it's, it's real, not scripted. Or it's scripted, not real. Yeah. What do I say? No, the people goes, it's not real. No, it's real. It's just scripted. It's real. And yeah, it's a real scripted, but also like the injuries happen because it's, yeah, it's real. The bodies are hitting bodies. Yeah, you're not faking a body flying out. I mean, yeah, they're pulling punches and stuff like that sometimes, but yeah. sometimes, but also like they're literally flying through the air. They're really hitting each other with those A body chairs. falling they're- to the ground, you can't fake that. Like yeah, exactly. you could fall on this floor right now and you could do a prat fall, quote unquote, yeah. but you'd still, your body would hit a floor. I mean, stunt guys, stunt guys get uh, little tweaks and tears all the yeah. time and they're practiced. They're doing it the right way. They wear pads, but the mm-hmm. whole point of their job and these people is like, you learn how it's to fall. still dangerous. Gravity's real. It doesn't right. go away. But that's why it was so cool to hear that he still improvises a lot of his matches because that's like such a study of the body. And I feel like it, his matches must now I want to go watch it with a finer eye because he must be so present have to be so present well there's also that speaks to his I mean I was uh, talking about this the other day that I feel like a lot of the new generation of wrestlers like don't have the showmanship like the same like and and, uh, they're not as good as cutting promos and improvising and that seems directly connected that improvisational ability oh yeah if you go back and you watch um, like Macho Man or you watch Hulk it is featured heavily obviously in the Andre the Giant doc and when you watch the old uh, clips of him just doing talking heads uh, or even Ultimate Warrior who's mm-hmm. just such a lunatic that he turns his back to the camera constantly yeah. just screaming and it's funny Hulk talks at one point when he and Andre go face to face and it's like before Wrestlemania 3 or something when they go head to head and Andre turns heel uh, yeah. that they're doing a whole thing and Andre rips his shirt off but he was he in his mind the Hulk was like I'm going to cry because this is my best friend that's now turning against me. So he says, I had Listerine on my finger and I tried to put it in my eye so that I could create tears. But he shook, Andre shook him so hard that you see it in the clip that he can't get it into his eye. Oh my God. You have to watch it. It's really fascinating. But those guys were just so off the cuff. The Miz, I think, is the only one that's close as this like younger generation of being able to just shit talk endlessly. Yeah, I hope they, I hope that stuff picks up because that's, that to me is what makes wrestling the best. The the high flying stuff. I always love and like all kind of gymnastic stuff that's yeah. great but it's the drama that makes wrestling that's so why good I keep saying I'm like I'm gonna be a WWE I'm gonna be the girl that doesn't Dude, care yes. that just is there for to 
talk and be funny and uh, wear sweatpants. No, you, oh my God. <laughs> I want to be like you, the I hangover. Used to be like, when we used WrestleMania and stuff and we were wrestling, you were like, maybe you should be a wrestler. Maybe that's really your calling. Maybe that's your calling. Honestly, Jerry, I've been literally listening to music being like, what's my entrance song going to be? And just been on a treadmill listening Dude, to it. if you want to get into it, I would do that with you. I honestly if you wanna, was going to ask you, like, do you know a gym that I can start? There, there is a pro, I do know pro wrestlers, a pro wrestling gyms in the LA area. I yeah. wanted to go because I do grappling, which P.S. I also think there's an aspect, not to get like so bipolar like jumping back and forth <laughs> between like psychological stuff or whatever, but I was thinking when we were talking about this and the bonds between in violence that people have with each yeah. other in horseplay, there's a lot of oxytocin release because it's still this mm. human body contact. You right. know? There's still this, so that intimacy that people feel even for their enemies or their foes, yeah. there is like something I think very real about like all that pressure, all that contact and fighting and mm-hmm. clutching and skin contact, you're releasing oxytocin and weirdly bonding to each other yeah. in this violence, which I wonder if is that isn't some evolutionary thing to pr- prevent us from killing each other that like hey you oh. can fight and work it out but let's make them kind of feel connected the closer they do that you interesting know? it creates an intimacy yeah because yeah. it is it is a, in that on killing book uh this book called on killing by something grossman but mm-hmm. it's uh it, it just basically says it's the worst thing anybody can ever do uh which is obvious but like truly anybody who does it 98 99 of people who kill somebody uh like a soldiers or whatever that's who they mm-hmm. take you you're just shattered forever. Forever. Like, Unless you're just, a full psychopath or a sociopath literally. and can completely disassociate with that level yeah. of intimacy. And that, exactly. And I think that's the thought I've never had till right now we're talking about it, mm-hmm. is this mechanism that creates this intimacy that mm-hmm. like taking somebody's life or that something. It's like, this is, you're like looking in a mirror. Like this is you. This is like kind of the, not to get too crazy but it's like that Buddhist thought of like we're all connected and we're all part of everything I think that's 100% true yeah there's this beautiful short story called The Egg have you ever heard of it yeah but I've never read it it's so it cha- it's like so all right, I'm going to spoil the egg for everybody. It's, it's the, the weirdest thing, it's the guy who wrote The Martian, that movie. Yeah, the, with that, Matt like, Damon? Book. Yeah, he wrote that book. Uh-huh. And I would never expect. And long story short, I'm going to keep it as brief as I can. This guy dies, uh-huh. and uh, uh, and he's and he's faced with his creator. And uh, he's like a middle-aged just guy who had a wife and uh, maybe some kids or something like that. And the creator, they're so good how they do the creator, because like, the creator, like he's like first it's like it's just this guy sitting there and then he's like and then it was like or maybe it was like this man who who, like or maybe it was this librarian that I had when she was you know Mm -hmm. and it's just this idea that it's just your creator whatever you don't know what that's going to appear as but he tells a story about like uh, the creator's like um, he's like who are you and he's like I'm your creator and he's like what's going on and he's oh you died how did I die he's like do you really you want to know hey you slid off a bridge in the ice so it was not that spectacular Mm -hmm. but it doesn't really matter you're not going to be here that long anyway and uh, he goes and the guy says stuff like "Um, oh no how's my wife and he's like ah uh, she's fine honestly she's secretly a little relieved it wasn't going that well and I know that sounds hard he goes wow that's horrible that sounds yeah don't worry about it you're, you're, it's, you're just here for a moment and he goes well, what happens now and he's, gonna, he's like you're gonna go back and do it again uh, you're gonna go do life again and he's like I am he goes yeah this time you're gonna do uh, this girl in 6th uh, uh, century China this peasant girl Whoa. and he's like oh cool oh wow okay so then what happens after that does this just keep happening and he goes like um yeah uh, no he goes he goes what's uh, the meaning of life like what's the universe about why'd you make the universe can I ask you that and he goes oh I made it for you and he goes what and he's like he's like yeah no it's literally it's just for you and um, long story short I'm not gonna tell the story it's good it's very good how they <laughs> unveil it but he says um, you are everybody 
Mm. Uh, and that like what happens is you do a life, you die, and then you do it again. And you mm-hmm. keep doing it until you've done everyone's life. Whoa. He goes, you're everybody. He goes, so I'm like Hitler. He's like, yeah, you're uh, Hitler. You're also the guy uh, that Hitler killed. You're also the, you're everybody. Whoa. And that um, intimately understanding this reality that when you hurt other people, you hurt yourself. When you help other people, you help yourself. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be a horrible person. And you're going to be a good person. You do all these things. You're going to experience all of it. And, and when you're done, um, he's like, then you'll be one of me. And that the whole universe as we know it is an egg. And yeah. it's an egg that grows creators, basically. Whoa. And that, like, once you've gone through every life, that egg hatches, and then we as- you ascend, and the universe is like that's the- and that idea of the universe as an egg yeah. is that idea that we're all connected because it speaks to such an intimate uh, truth. I feel that we feel this instinct that we feel that when you harm people, you you're truly harming yourself. Yeah. And when you help them, you're truly helping yourself. Yeah. That we are truly connected like that. Man, I just love that story, and I was like. As well, a you metaphor, spoiled it for all of us. I, I did. But I'm, I'm sorry. It's still a beautiful unveiling. No, it is really great. And I do think that it, there is a connectivity there to the idea of like certainty and fear that people fear death because they don't know what's happening after. There's no certainty of what happens after. Right. And that sort of idea brings some level of like certainty in the uncertainty of yeah. who you're going to end up as if you keep coming back if we believe in past lives and reincarnation yeah. and all of this sort of thing um, and I think that's I mean you can go into 10,000 hours Dude. talking about that's why religion exists to give us some level sure. of certainty after we die I had the strangest I don't know why I don't know why a year or so ago maybe I associated with like a year ago I don't know when it was mm-hmm. I don't have a specific moment but something happened where I just had this weird not religious I don't know not from it I was just like I am eternal. Like, I just don't know what it was. <laughs> but I was like, I just, the, I've never really like, feared death. I mean, in a practical way, yes. Yeah. Like in a, you know, standard way. But like, I don't, but in a way even beyond that, I was just mm-hmm. like, oh, it's weird that I've ever even worried about it. The universe doesn't waste anything. Like mm-hmm. when, uh, like all the particles here now are the particles from the beginning. And yeah. whatever this consciousness energy is, I have no fear that that is not going to be wasted either. Mm. And it might be redistributed. It might be anything. I am pretty sure that the sense of Jarrett as Jarrett, which is just a construct of my brain and my body, right. I'm pretty sure that'll dissolve and I won't be aware of that. Um, but I also don't believe like the creator or that thing is sentient. I don't think mm-hmm. it has a sense of itself. I, I'm pretty sure that that sense of self, three-dimensional experience of our idea of ourself is uh, a very limited one. Yeah. And that there's this other thing that is outside of time and, and not trapped in what we're trapped in now. Mm-hmm. That is like, this is an important experience. Yeah. Like that we come and experience this lower level of simpler existence but that whatever that consciousness energy is, yeah, I don't just I I don't know. I have this uh, the utmost certainty that it just will rejoin whatever it's part of. Yeah, no, I'm yeah, I'm with you. I I'm like I said, the very a person that has learned that relies on certainty. But weirdly, I get a lot of comfort knowing that I have no idea exactly what's going to happen after I die, and not trying to figure that out or or spend a lot of energy trying to figure that out I feel like it's impossible to know and so there's something really comforting that's the only thing that I can say I'm truly comforted by not knowing about yeah well I think that's that speaks to there is a paradox of uh incomprehensible enormity Mm -hmm. that is if you look up at the night sky and you try to hold it in your mind, mm-hmm. you will fucking freak out. You yeah. will stare into the mouth of madness <laughs> and it will scramble your brain. Uh-huh. I remember when I was a little kid, I, I was in rural Wisconsin where I had a family and 
just slitting in field. And it was the first time that I had the, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. Uh, yeah. um, uh, what do they call it? Uh, cosmic vertigo, I think they call it or something Is like that. that. Or, or existential vertigo. I don't know. And that... Um, and I couldn't look at it because I was trying to hold it in my mind. Yeah. And um, this, I truly think, is true in a spiritual concept. They speak about it in like in a, a twelve-step programs and addiction. The reason the first step is admitting you're powerless over it isn't is ironic. It's a paradox because you're not going to be able to actually deal with it until you go. It's bigger. It's so much more enormous. Yeah. Than when you acknowledge enormity. You would expect, as a small, tiny creature trying to comprehend it, that you would be crushed by it, um, which you are if you try to hold it in you. It will blow you up. Yeah. You can't do that. But if you truly embrace the enormity and unknowable, there's this incredible comfort in surrender. And relief. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's, it's almost like as all if, grains of sand. Yeah. It's almost as if you're being held in it, mm -hmm. I, I, is how I feel. That as soon as I stop trying to grab it and yeah. contain it and comprehend it yeah it's whole it comprehends me it's true i remember having like such anxiety the first time i realized that someone in a different state could see the moon at the same time that i could oh, and it just yeah. gave me uh, like an elementary school realizing that like from new jersey someone in wisconsin is seeing the same moon that i'm seeing right now that freaked me out so much and I was like that's not that can't be true mm -hmm. there must be different moons for every state yeah. there must be a different like uh, stars everything like it's wallpaper yeah. everyone's got their own wallpaper and it was just like too much to try and like like you said encapsulate the whole enormity of it it's overwhelming yeah I, th I think I just take so much comfort in being part of it which and, and then and which also then offers relief about all my fears and anxieties and identity and need mm -hmm. to complete and need to know and be certain here yeah. because then things that are scary or gross like like this instinct towards violence because I think the distinction is I enjoy uh, this is funny my kung fu teacher said a long time ago in a self-defense setting or whatever he was like people don't like to fight people they like to beat the shit out of people and he's mm. talking about like predators he's talking about yeah, on yeah. the street and if they feel like they're gonna get a fight out of you then um they probably won't fight you which has to do with confidence and competency and, and not then, riling and responding yeah and that goes down to like bullying in elementary schools and Completely. stuff like that yeah but that um my experience of it is i am attracted towards violence i don't i'm not attracted towards hurting people right and being able to separate those things and you know then then you stop saying like oh these gross shamey things which then i'll i would uh like to spread it away from just traditionally masculine stuff uh -huh. is um this attraction like being a boy and then and then uh, the first time you get makeup put on you and mm -hmm. going like oh i really like how pretty i am yeah and saying like and then being scared of it and being like well that's fucking weird i don't want to be i don't want to be gay i don't want to you right. know and that also works for girls too that like i consider myself i have a lot of like masculine energy in me a very tomboy aesthetic because i grew up with boys and brothers my whole life but i like makeup and there's a weird dichotomy in especially like being part of comedy and not wanting to rely on like appearance and having issues with it in the past but like i i enjoy playing with makeup as like a mm -hmm. an artistry form and so you struggle with like how much you're allowed to like it in the same yeah, regard exactly. how much you're allowed to like it yeah. I, I think being once you've uh, allowed that I oh my consciousness is part of some vast cosmic fucking mm -hmm. thing that I don't understand and this thing I'm doing here this is just I'm do I'm just doing my job by experiencing what I experience yeah. truthfully I'm yeah. doing what I'm supposed to do I, and there's less shame attached to it then I think it's important because then you can go then you can go like 
well, oh, well, let me let me feel those feelings. I'm attracted yeah. to this thing. Why do I like and this thing okay. I'm not supposed to like? Yeah. yeah I don't I, think I'd be given that attraction if I wasn't supposed to like converse with it somehow. It was really wonderful. One time I interviewed John Green when he was doing his press tour for The Fault in Our Stars and the movie came out. And he was so tired by the end of the day doing this interview with me that he was so raw and real. And he just like, all of his guards were down. He just like, and we're buds. So it was a comfortable interview. And he was talking about how he gets makeup put on for all these interviews and he's never had it on before and he loves it so mm-hmm. much. He's like, I take selfies. I take it like tons of them so I can post them later because I think I look so good with yeah. it on. And it was so wonderfully delightful to hear this guy that created Nerdfighteria, this concept of like embracing your geekdom, your nerddom, all of it. Love the way he looked in makeup just like as a person that wanted to feel good about themselves yeah. enough to take photos and post them later and like create this archive so he can post later because he's not going to yeah. go back and put his own makeup on himself. And I was just like, it was so true. And he was so unabashedly honest about it that it was so refreshing. And I just it, I don't remember very much of the rest of the interview. But that one little moment, I was like, yeah. this is so wonderful. Well, I've been really obsessed lately with this idea of just permission and and permissiveness and allowance yeah and i went to this show recently that was like like a real paradigm shifting show for me like one of the most uh, the most astonishing theater thing i've ever seen in my life what was it uh, there's this artist named taylor mac okay and um uh at the show uh judy said the pronoun that they prefer is judy okay and was also joking that like they really don't care like he she whatever they don't yeah. really care and then said actually i do prefer judy uh-huh. That's, and, and they said i don't identify as either gender they said uh um i actually uh i i identify as a performer uh-huh. <laughs> and i was like all that stuff was resonant and funny in the moment but whatever um it's kind of a, a drag performer uh-huh. who got a macarthur grant last year and the show that she's put together is it's called the 24 decade project uh-huh. it's 24 hours it's what? four nights of six hours each of theater. Each hour is a decade of American pop music from 1776 wow. to 2016. And she sings 240 songs over Just the course. Her? Yeah. Over the course of oh my God. four nights. It's a, it's a Thursday and a Saturday separated by a week. Did you go to all four nights? I didn't. I didn't know about it. My friend went to the second night, I think the first and the second night, and then was like in the middle of the night texted. It just, and it's kind of an acquaintance uh, uh, who I've done theater with and yeah. known about and just texted me. He's like, I think you'd really like this show. I don't know. I just got out of it. I'm buzzing. I th- will you come to me with me on Thursday? I was like, sure, whatever. I haven't done uh-huh. theater in a while. And I was just like, yeah, I'll go to a show. I didn't realize till the day of the show that's a six. Hour- I was like, oh, this is a six hour. Oh, we're okay. in it. We're yeah. in it. So I go to the show. It's at the Ace Hotel, uh, okay. which is a beautiful yeah, theater. Yeah, downtown. I, w- I watched 1906 to 1956. Wow. And, um there's a lot. I could go on and on about this fucking sure. show. I would recommend it to everybody. I, I'm hoping I, there were crews with red cameras there, so I, th- I assume it'll be on DVD or something at some That'd point. Be, yeah. I'm hoping because I want to watch the other 18 yeah. hours. But um, one of the things that astonished me is this this clearly like non-binary performer, very like you know unique and and uh, mm-hmm. honest person, very like woke person engendered immediately this sense of permission and, and and everything they said. One of the things they said at the beginning really stuck with me was like. Um, here's the deal. They're like, I'm going to say a lot of things. And here's the craziest thing about all the things I'm going to say. You don't have to agree with any of them. <laughs> and, and it was like, isn't that a wild con? And the way they said it was like so funny because you're yeah. like, especially with uh, somebody who's like such a, a, a unique and, and woke kind of like feeling performer, you're like immediately you associate like all these rules, like right. SJW kind of like fears and, and conservative fears and like not wanting to, you know, and yeah. this idea that they go like, hey, 
you can just, you don't have to agree. They go on to go like, they're like, um, the only thing theater demands of you is that you consider everything that comes in front of you. Wow. And that's it. And the gentleness of this and continuing with that attitude throughout. Somebody, this person was just beautiful and wacky and abstract, like yeah. huge costumes and wild. And the idea that in this huge person was just their, 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 uh, ruling sort of energy and quality of huge emotions and huge personality and huge intellect yeah. was this gentle kind of like hey whatever gentle fine. permission it started at the beginning of the show they go the 1906 they were starting uh, with this image there was like a lot of klezmer music in the first of the pop music of the 1900s and it started with this story of uh, they were like so uh, what happened was a lot of people from eastern Europe immigrated to America because there were pogroms and all these like Jewish and uh, people came over and um, so they were like so uh, let's see the people in the back three rows of the theater all the way up in the balcony like you're uh, eastern Europe we're gonna have you immigrate down to the stage this is America come down to the stage and immediately Immediately, wow. that's like how it kicks off. And I was, I was, I was like crying over and over again. You know what I mean? It was one of those things. But like, I look around because I'm up in the balcony too, and these people are milling about going down, and they have kind of uh, uh, dancers that are kind of part of the show and yeah. part of like um, ushering, but kind of part of the show all throughout. And they're kind of, and everyone's just kind of milling and walking down. The lights are kind of half up, half down the whole time. That you, I, I immediately was like, this isn't. The-. I was like, I feel like I'm at a wedding, yeah, and like the, everyone's immersive. kind of an acquaintance. Anyway, the whole show was just so wild, and the idea of uh, permission and and the way they were interacting with the audience, I won't get into that because that was just like a beautiful theater thing. But this one, th- the whole thing they keep saying was is this ritual sacrifice of the patriarchal colonial narrative and this wow. attachment to this thing. And I remember I went uh, down to the stage at one point, a few times throughout the show, and mm-hmm. one of them was this part where... Um, it was the, up in the 50s. They got back, they got to the 50s and it was telling the story about white flight and all this stuff. And then because of who this person's experience was, I assume, they, they, they focused on their experience and tell the story of like uh, the story of the white queer in the suburbs. Uh-huh. And that like the only way that you were ever going to get any action or, you know, intimacy yeah. was if you converted a straight boy. <laughs> and they go, so all of the white straight males in the audience uh, who are be- uh, between the age of 18 and 30, whatever, come down the stage oh my gosh. and uh and i'm 32 so i was just saying i was and i was like and then i was like i'm being i'm just trying to get out of this i'm like i'm like let's go i'm gonna, I'm gonna. so i run down the stage and join all these other guys and yeah. she's doing this really funny dance where she's making us all like do what i do and we're all like doing this like yeah. sexual kind of sensual stuff on on our own miming when the, sh- the song finally ends and um and they're like uh and she goes like oh uh one of you you like you'll do and I was like fuck of course oh, it's me yeah cause I knew <laughs> I knew like cause I came in late cause I yeah. came you know, they are already halfway through it and I was down there and I was like well I'm gonna hop up there yeah. so I felt like I kind of singled myself out yeah. and they were like okay and they were like here's the song this song is I'm gonna sing this love song mm-hmm. and the whole time I'm gonna try to touch you I'm gonna start holding your hand and then yeah. I'm try to get closer and you're just gonna try to keep me off you the whole song like a Pepe Le Pew kind uh-huh. of thing and, oh uh, and that's gonna be what you do this whole song okay and I was like okay okay it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna accelerate until I'm chasing you all around the stage and it's like uh-huh. crazy. I'm like, all right. So we do, we do this thing and it was f- so fun. I haven't done theater in a while and yeah. I, it's exactly how it goes. I'm kind of like, okay, thank you nicely. Taking yeah, the yeah. hand off. We're singing this love song about like, why won't you be with me? Love me, this pop song. 
until they're at the end they're like really like chasing me around and then like wrestling me kind of like uh. like trying to pull me in this tongues out making this joke about it and I was there and I was like this person and who's been doing show for hours who's right. like sweaty running like makeup five, yeah. smell, it's just working you know whatever but I was like this person is so beautiful right now <laughs> I was like this they made me cry so much I yeah I, I went like I was like doing this and I was like I kind of want to is that is that weird? and they're like and he just goes uh he goes Okay, and then we just make out for a second for this audience, and everyone was like cheering. And it was so crazy, and I was like, um, oh, "That's so funny!" It was so funny, and it was it was this sort of place they put us in where I was like, um, "These fears you have when you're a, a kid, especially yeah. if you're a cishet, you know, white man in America, where you're like." Oh no! I don't want to wear makeup. I don't like. I don't like being attracted to girly stuff because oh, what if what if I'm what if I'm gay? What is that? What right, is that? Right. And that whole thing, that fear, and that need to know and define. Uh, is is so weird that when you start saying like, well, what if I just encounter every reality? Like, mm-hmm. so where I'm at now is like, so far I haven't really met uh, men who inspired a kind of yeah. uh, thing in me. But the idea of and in, in interacting with your environment with permission and presence, and and I'm on this stage, and you know, it's an act. We're doing. We're part of this ritual that we're all doing the sacrifice, yeah. and, and I sort of identify as performer. Also, I have yeah. to allow that in. But just going like, you are. This is so beautiful right now, and also feeling like if this is a ritual sacrifice of the patriarchy. Is the story supposed to end? Uh, is it really helping if we're just repeating this right. uh, silly charade of like, oh, you chase straight guys, no, straight Yeah, it's so interesting because it is, I think, in general, like everything that we've been talking about as a whole is like, because even you saying, telling this story, your body language is like, even though Judy was telling you, you know, stave me off, etc. Yeah. You had a fear in you of like having to be singled out and that sort of thing. Yeah. So you gave yourself permission to feel your fear and saw where it went and it ended up in the most beautiful place which i think is kind of yeah. the overarching thing of like everything we've been talking Dude, about and, it, and it's yeah it was very like i mean heart's power so weird and you know, yeah and then you start examining it you're like wait and was i ex- exploitative was i doing this thing but even that becomes like this wonderful like oh you're having a lot of feelings and thoughts right now yeah. right? you're having a lot of fears the permission to just be what you are moment to moment uh-huh. is like such a relief right and so you had this had you not told me that story at all you yeah. you're still Jarrett to me today right. you're still exactly who you are so you had a moment of this insane fear and like permission to experience it and explore it and you came out the other side still yourself that is so huge that's such a huge thing to say yeah that is the that is the thing you said earlier about like fear there's somewhere in you that you think it's gonna kill you right that like it's which even even becoming changed right. is, a, is a sort of little death fear yeah exactly of like I'm some of my core values or something about me is going to go away right but you're like I would never ever had known that you had this insane beautiful moment had you not told me that story right. because to me you're exactly who you are yes because because you are moment to moment, yeah. even unconsciously, doing the like close your eyes, breathe, and yeah. receive your universe. That's so interesting too to think about that. That paralleling to our actual fear of death, the mm-hmm. fear of ending things. Right. Once you get over the idea that like, hey, maybe that's not so scary. It just happens, we can't and say then it that continues. It, but yeah, there's no way of knowing everything ends when we die. So it's a little bit relieving to be like, I don't know, and yeah. I have no absolute way, scientific proof of knowing yeah. what happens. I can have faith and spiritual beliefs in things, but I have no empirical proof that everything ends. Yeah. And and I think just connecting that to this fear thing that says like if I'm afraid of something new or different inside of me or outside mm-hmm. of me, perhaps that fear is rooted not in, not just uh not just in some ersatz uh, expression of an actual death instinct physically but also 
that in the ending of who I am now, the newness of right. learning something new, change. A, a, the change that the old me will die. Yeah. And that I'm just trying to protect against that death, but that there's truly who, nothing to fear in that death. Exactly. It's the certainty of knowing who you are in this one moment and the fear of something changing it. And then you have no certainty of knowing who you are going to be in the future moment. And so any change comes in, that comes your way is fear. Yeah. Yeah, which is nuts. That's beautiful. Well, I don't all need right. to go to therapy right. anymore, yeah. so yeah, I seriously. just did all of um, it. <laughs> let, me, uh, let me take a little uh, pee break, and then I'll get into my like, wrap-up-y cool. section. All right, cool. This is, this is a pee break. This is a pee break. This is me peeing. This is a pee break. Killer segue, Jarrett. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, I, I peed. Thank you. Woo, good job. Um, so uh, we're going to get also, to our... Also, I just watched the actual video of the theater performance <laughs> that Jarrett experienced. And wow, it's even more astounding and beautiful in video than I could have thank imagined you, in my you. brain. I was actually quite proud of also when I watched it back. I was like... And I've done theater in a while. I used to do theater all the time. And just the wrestling, like, yeah. improv thing. I was like, when I watched it back, I was like, whoa, we didn't even choreograph this. I this know. Is kind it of good. looks like it's, uh, like, rehearsed. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fun. I mean, man, I just fucking, I love performing. Yeah. I seriously would, like, if, wait a minute. Uh-oh. Yeah, pro wrestling. Yeah. Here's a thought I had, too. Yeah. I almost, I mean, not to put you on the spot, not to pitch you something while pitch. we're sitting here. go for it. But I was literally talking to, uh, I have a friend who's, putting together a wrestling league thing with a bunch of pro wrestlers. He knows he's a professional stunt guy and they all wrestle and has a different idea about it. But I was sitting there, I was thinking like, in a world, (laughs) in a world, where I know you and Mamrie, that alone Mm -hmm. are performers, big performers. Mamrie's definitely like a vaudevillian uh, capable, like variety capable performer, the band singer, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. You guys love to wrestle. We know a lot of wrestlers. We got a lot of physical people in the world. Yeah. I could pull this all together. We could do... Our own league? Our own wrestling league. <laughs> like the KSI boxing nonsense, YouTube oh, boxing. God, I Screw hate that. It. Don't care about that. Fuck Don't care that about shit. that at all. Yeah. But if we did our own. New Media Wrestling Federation, however. NMW. Hmm. <laughs> 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 well, yeah, let's um let's put that in the think let's tank. Put in the think tank. I think I think first you're gonna have to start training. I think both I did- of us are just gonna have to Beef up. I did beef up, but I also just want to start going to a trampoline gym and get back into like flipping around. Yeah. Do people know that you're like a gymnast? Do you ever talk about that? That you were a gymnast when you were a kid? Um, I, yeah, I talked about it a little bit, but it, I was a gymnast until like eighth grade and then I grew like 10 feet. So it's a lot yeah, harder. Yeah, you're still very, like you can do that back, you can do a back walkover like pretty, pretty I, well, much. I don't like, know if I can anymore. I'm, that's what I want to get back to. That's like the epiphany I had coming back from WrestleMania and seeing all these women because it's very much the women's division is just like exploding with these amazing athletes yeah, and great. it was so inspiring that I was like I want to get back in touch with my body I used to be able to just like do a backflip whenever I wanted Britney Spears just posted on Instagram her I doing saw backflip. that I liked it God I love Britney <laughs> Britney is the American dream she's so she, fucking inspiring uh, she posted the other day like sometimes you just gotta dance and it's her and her boyfriend just dancing and she's <laughs> the best she's an inspiring like so she when is she like paints, dude and it's just circles and it's like <sighs> such a reveal of what is she painting I, what dude, is she painting I, I'm sorry. I'm like freaking out thinking about it. I mean, she controls she truly... my body. I went to I went to the Slave for You tour and uh, I swooned yeah. like it was a fucking beetle. I yeah. just sit down. She she we should replace the Statue of Liberty with Britney Spears. I truly but think she she's had, the American dream. She broke through because she had that moment of control panic break where she shaved That's her what head. I'm yeah, and she it seemed like she released herself from having to be in control of anything and is now 
taking hold of her own destiny. And she does what she wants. She does yeah. those weird twirl around dress she does videos those, every like, day. Uh, my here's my like bizarrely edited runway show in my house of just like yeah. maybe my actual wardrobe from Oops I Did It Again. Yes. I don't know. Her doing that backflip on Instagram today, I truly I, I was so I, impressed. Dude, I taught myself to do a back or taught myself, I taught taught myself whatever to do a back tuck a little while ago. I don't have it right now, but I just knew it was in me. Yeah. And part of me does go I'm only thirty two, but like a life of combat sports and lifting there's all Look, these pains all and things the, in my body most of the male wrestlers average age is like 35 36 right female wrestlers average age is like 25 so yeah that's that's you know, why that's, that's, i'd be an underdog story well i think part of it might just be too like um wrestling's a really hard business to get into yeah a lot of those guys have probably been around a long time in the trenches oh they've you know? come up through so many different ranks of so many different yeah, things plus like weird little federations and stuff and there's so many different divisions and they really do a great job in the under the giant documentary of explaining like the origin stories of like all these different yeah. divisions which is fascinating and like the vince mcmahon stories oh. of all of it yeah yeah, I'm, I'm gonna definitely check that out. Yeah, you should. But like that thing of seeing her do it, and I was like, I was like, I am already telling myself my body's breaking down and I can't do anything anymore. And here's Britney Spears doing a fucking backflip, just a bunch of them in yeah. a row. And Maniac. I was like, I gotta get to one of those gyms. I well, gotta my do whole, it. I've done, I've gone through a lot of different like physical practices and stuff like that, and uh, my whole like approach has just totally changed into like when I go to work out now I just feel what I'm feeling and yeah. move around and the whole goal for me is to try to like move enough that um, I don't feel limited by my body in the universe yeah. that like if I want to move this way or that way or do like a weird little flippy move or something right. that I just don't feel just as much as I can do to, to uh make my body feel less like a prison yeah no that's exactly what i was saying that i just want to feel like i'm able i'm capable of doing things i feel life i want to feel like yep. i'm not going to get injured immediately yeah i gotta say it's the best feeling yeah when, when you can stop don't not look at exercise as some dumb crucible some punishment some yeah. thing you gotta do and start to really look at it as a means of emancipation mm -hmm. I, was, I was a birdie man and I had this like <laughs> amazing moment on these rings they right put you talked about yeah. this on my podcast oh yeah. I did talk about your podcast yeah you Whatever. explained the whole thing yeah, yeah okay so fuck it, the whole thing the whole point of it is that when you can trust your hands yeah. that like I've practiced my hands are strong and they hold my body that has become such a liberating thing of just like my hands hold me. They yeah. do what I tell them to. That's such a good feeling. And you, you create so much, such gratitude in your relationship to your body that yeah. it moves. It and goes you create and a sense of security in yourself. I mean, I, I, if anybody has difficulty with this, I'd, I'd uh, start with food and say, like, realize the fucking gift your body gives you in taste and say, yeah. like, thank you for allowing me to taste all this shit or music. Like, thank mm -hmm. you for letting me hear all these things and think all these things. And I think the means of that starts to go like, Thank you for the joys of running, jumping, climbing trees. Yeah, Thank absolutely. you for carrying me to the fucking toilet and back with my feet, you know? Yeah, and it's one of those things you don't know what you have until it's gone. That, like, when you get sick or you are you have a sore throat, you don't realize, like, how wonderful your throat is every other day that yep. it doesn't have this inability to not feel pain. I'm a, I'm a maniac when I get sick, when I get truly sick. I go into this really weird, like, animals, like, uh, I deserve to die mode. I'm like, <laughs> I'm just, I'm a failed organism. I can't even walk around and breathe without dying and I should just die and keep the rest of the human herd stronger. Uh -huh. I deserve this. It's really weird. Anyway, okay, let's get into our kind of closing section. Okay. Um, which uh, is uh, called Six Quick Cues. Six but, Quick Cues. Um, just quick little cues. Okay. Which uh, are sometimes not that quick and I kind of end up asking more questions than six but it doesn't matter. Great. The first one, which is actually not part of Six Quick Cues but it's the preamble, okay. is um, 
I'm going to be brief about this. I just like to ask everybody in the interest of destigmatizing this for anybody out mm-hmm. there for themselves, because I know that that's how I thought about it. I like to ask if you have uh, been diagnosed with any sort of mental stuff, mental mm-hmm. health issues or conditions or whatever. And if so, uh, are, have you been prescribed and do you yeah. take medication? Uh, I take Adderall um, and have for the last like four years, but I'm really trying to wean myself off of that mm-hmm. um, in this whole like, I'm 32 I want to feel a little bit like cleaner and that sort of thing um, when I lived in New York right before I was leaving New York I was starting to experience really severe anxiety to the point that I couldn't ride the subway anymore and I'd lived there for like five years totally fine you know anxious enough just as a general nervous person but it got to the point that I was having just panic attacks and would have to get off at subway stops and like take taxis to get places because I was just getting very claustrophobic and uh, so I ended up taking um, anti-anxiety medicine. I was taking well butrin and then mm. colonzapam uh-huh. uh, when I right before I left New York and when I first lived here in Los Angeles. And I started taking colonzapam, which you take as when you, when needed. When you uh, it's are not those, a, are those like colonzapins? Is that different or the same? Do you know? Colonzapam. I okay. think it's um. I'm not totally it's sure. Like a sedative. Yeah, basically, it's an anti, you know, yeah, in a way, it's an anti-anxiety medicine that you take not on a regular basis, like an Adderall. I I was taking like Wellbutrin on a regular basis for like antidepressants, but the clonazepam was for like if I was going into a social situation and I knew I was going to be overwhelmed, I would take like a clonazepam before I went. But I stopped taking them because I just felt really numb. I felt very much like my personality was gray, and I would be in social situations and feel like comfortable and fine but not feel there was something about like the nervousness that I missed because it gave me more of a personality in a way I think it's so important what you're saying to like uh to stay in touch with your experience and understand that there is still even with your psychiatrist your professional there is a an experimental nature of like trying out what works with you Hannah is very very amazing at that for herself she's very well knowledge and researched and has a really great psychiatrist that she works with um and is a very huge proponent of like experiencing it for yourself and doing your research and really staying in tune with your body and what's changing or not changing um and so I stopped taking it on my own and then I stopped kind of seeing my psychiatrist and I because she changed practices and then I just felt like I could probably try and handle it on my own Mm. um but recently I started taking some of the clonazepam that I still had like left over again and it's been in smaller doses way much more helpful for me I think because when I was taking it, it was when I was transitioning to Los Angeles. There were so many new things going on. There were so many um, changes in my my life, my lifestyle, my work, everything, um, that it was too overwhelming to feel that numb about everything. I wanted mm-hmm. to feel more present. And now that I have a more um, secure foundation in Los Angeles, it does. it is helpful for me when I do experience moments of extreme anxiety, that it does even me out in a way that I don't, I'm not now anxious that I'm feeling numb. I'm just yep. feeling more comfortable in myself. That's that's important. That's so. I think it just so, comes with age too, yeah, and just like with your experience. Yeah, and just the realization of like I know more about who I am now. I'm in a more secure relationship. I'm feeling like yeah. more confident in my friendships and and that sort of thing. And also like, 
you reach this age where I've had a lot of success in YouTube and now I feel like I'm kind of had a dip and a turning point. And so it feels a little bit like a fresh start. So mm-hmm. there is some anxiety that's been lingering. But um, but yeah, that's been those are the only things. Yeah, I just think that's so profound that even in your younger when you first signed it, you knew that the, ang- the nerves that you're experiencing served you for a, a particular yeah, reason. That there was a reason to listen to it. Yeah. And especially because I was doing much more improv I was performing live more and so the clonzepan I felt in that regard was keeping me from being a true performer and like being the I the reason follow your fear is a thing in improv is because I think fear is just excitement trying to escape your body because you're you want yeah. to do well at something and you like the thing that you do and yeah. it's a rush and it's adrenaline and clonzepan was keeping me from feeling that adrenaline and so that mm. was why I felt like it was inhibiting me rather than helping well I just yeah I'm not not to find a point but you're just pointing something out that I don't think I've even verbalized specifically that just the importance of that these medications it is not to just repress and destroy something you're experiencing sometimes it's very important to look directly at and experience those things but Mm -hmm. also be aware of when it's serving you and when it's not yeah I think having a healthy relationship with understanding that it's not you are not like this is kind of why I'm weaning back on my Adderall now is wanting to reconnect with myself and feel a little bit freer from like this medication that like this medication isn't what defines my focus or my work or my yeah. drive that I'm able and capable of doing all of that um, my younger brother has gone on and off of like antidepressants here and there and it's only when he's feeling times like he we both experience depression and so he takes it in waves he doesn't like taking it when he's feeling good because he doesn't need to and he likes to have a separation of yeah. of all that which I think is the healthiest thing about any sort of medication it's just really checking in with yourself yeah just I, that's so that's so smart the healthiest thing about the medication is using it as a tool to get more in touch with yourself right using it as a tool not just using it yeah more in conversation with your experience mm-hmm. not just as a way to go like, I'm doing what they told me. Yeah, exactly. Thank God I don't have to feel anything. Exactly. Okay. Uh, the first quick cue is, uh, do you have any consistent practices, particularly physical ones, but any mental or, or that help you, you know? Um, I, I run. That's like my yeah. physical thing. My dad had done that for like stress relief growing up. And um, I was on track in high school. And then it just started to become this thing that is the way I relieve stress and the way I most enjoy exercise. Um, and... It, it's also for me really great because I, you know, work online. So I'm looking at screens all day constantly. I have 10,000 tabs up. I'm multitasking. I don't like being on the phone because it is such a singular thing. And I feel like I'm not able to do other things when I'm taking a phone call. But running and showering are usually where I generate most of my ideas because it's mm-hmm. so singularly focused that I can't be on the phone. I can't be doing whatever while I'm doing that. Um, so that's my go-to and I dip in and out of doing it more regularly but I am my best when I'm running like three or four times a week and just feeling the joy of it rather than like the swallowing blood pain of like just trying to get exercise yeah, in yeah yeah um, swallowing blood pain yeah, so true so when good. you haven't run for a while and then you try to run pick it up again it's yeah. literally you're just swallowing blood going why am I doing this yeah, to you myself can, you li- literally that's what yeah. it tastes like plus it's I just uh it's the most pure form of exercise all you need is your body to do it 
That's and, all exercise should be that way. Yeah. I mean, I have a treadmill in my house, which is what I use because I like live on hills. So I don't like running the hills as much. Um, but when I when, say all exercise should be that way, obviously, I love weights and all. There's all kinds of toys. Sure. But, but, this the, thing, but knowing you have the tools. That I already have the tools. Times. No matter where I am, I have the tools to do this thing that brings me joy when I make myself do it. I mean, there are days where I'm like, Ugh, I don't want to do this. But then the tapping into like the joyous like free feeling afterwards is yeah. always much I mean, more important someone said like that uh there are no there's no such thing as a regretted workout yeah. that like you might fucking hate getting going it might be bad but like no one's ever finished it and gone like wish i didn't do that right and <laughs> then also like just it makes my relationship with food from like being someone that did have an eating disorder it helps me balance my relationship with food and it allows me to enjoy meals and allows me to like not have any lingering pangs or weirdness in the back of my brain of just you know because an eating disorder never fully goes away it's yeah. it's like a scar that like flares up and down mm-hmm. uh and so it's always going to be there in my brain but when i am having a balanced exercise schedule my ability to enjoy meals and go out to eat and that sort of thing is so infinitely richer and more enjoyable and it's just well, all if, around better if you ever get if you do get into a beefing up phase and you start like lifting weights and stuff yeah. there's no experience like eating after or during weightlifting oh. because you feel them you feel the use of the molecules so acutely uh-huh. your body's like yeah we got carbs to inflate these muscles oh, we got carbs to carry all for this protein sure. you know, it's so exciting I've eaten like I've never, you know, pasta and then eating pasta, carbo loading is a real thing. Eating this meal that makes you feel like maybe so heavy or weighty or whatever. And then when you like hours later after you've like digested, get on a treadmill and you run, you I've never felt more powerful. Yeah. Like I could run forever. And I'm like, oh, because I gave myself the purest form of fuel. Yeah. And it feels so good. It's just that's. Yeah. I think that's just a wonderful like I think that's true because you're you're creating uh, your body wants to move. Yeah. It's begging to. It's made to. And it's just using this thing that you put in it to do something really nice for yourself to like yeah yeah, it's I don't know it's just like you're giving your body a gift and your body is using the gift that is very good okay Uh, let me uh, what's my next six quick cues I'm sure people listening remember and I don't whatever no big deal Um, okay oh something cheesy that actually inspires you something cheesy that actually inspires me um I mean I I love all cheesy like underdog stories I love uh, and I guess that's not even cheesy but I well I like like I literally was listening to Rachel Platten's fight song on the way How over the one that's like, like this, this is my, my fight, fight song yeah. that fucking counts for sure yeah that song and like roar like all of those cheesy yeah. pop songs that like I don't know there's something very uplifting about it and that I listen to that when I run and it just makes me feel very happy and good and like inspired yeah that's yeah. good i like that there's like a bravery in that that i feel like that's connected to the the like uh and i think why i like to ask that question in general is yeah. like the fear of like oh what if i was a fucking idiot well it's also what if like, i was just simple and was inspired by real things and lived in the real world yeah i mean it's kind of like it's akin to what's your guilty pleasure and i always feel like they shouldn't be guilty nope. it's just something you enjoy yeah, no such thing. There's yeah. only pleasure. Yeah. I think same thing about ironic humor. Like yeah. I'm wearing this shirt and it's ironic joy because it's got Ninja Turtles on it or whatever. It's like, but it's genuinely bringing you joy. Yeah. So isn't that... Yeah. Totally. Uh, all right. Uh, what's something dark about you? 
Like what's a, something dark? Yeah, what's like a gothy? Uh, I mean, that's my goth question, but I do think it's important. To, what, what's an example? Uh, like, I don't know. Like whatever, whatever that means to you. What's something that like typically you think people you you hide or you you don't think is like an okay thing to talk about, but you feel like mine would probably be one of them would be like my attraction to violence that like you're mm. not supposed to like fighting, and I fucking really enjoy. Well, that. I think like the eating disorder phase of my life was always very very dark, and only in the last couple years have I gotten slightly more comfortable talking about it yeah and it really is true that people say the more you talk about things the less power it has over you yeah and it really kind of like diffuses it you the voices in your head are so much stronger than the voice that you when you say them out loud yep. like little balloons that you're deflating as you talk and so Fear um, thing again too as soon as you acknowledge it experience yeah it. exactly so i think that's probably the darkest side of me that i do want to explore in this new book and and really talk about because the when I was going through it in college, the internet wasn't like the database that it is now to read things about it. So I had to buy books at yeah. like uh, from Borders and Barnes and Noble about girls telling their stories mm-hmm. just to feel like I wasn't alone in this like pain brain that I had going on. Yeah. Um, so I want to write about it, but I also it is incredibly silly to me when I look back. I have enough space from that dark time to think think how stupid yeah. some of my actions were and things that I was doing. And so I do want to be able to write a, about it with a grain of comedy sand yeah. there. So well, definitely, yeah. I think that is that seems like a universal. I for sure am constantly. Uh, nostalgically laughing at my most toxic and destructive periods. Oh, yeah. When you look back on like, I was a terrible person. (laughs) And you're like, it's so dumb how dumb I was. Yeah. Um, And how your brain can change. Yeah. Which is amazing. And I think that's like kind of a like wonderful transformation too. Just to understand that the things that were the the worst thing you were like, such a bad person you want to kill yourself or whatever. Right. Like you get through them and you're like what a, what a dipshit. What a That's dork. so funny. What a dork. Yeah, precious. <laughs> Alright. Uh, almost there. Oh, what's something you thought was cool when you were younger? Clearly not cool now. Hmm. What's something I thought was cool when I was younger that isn't cool now? Yeah, it can be just a silly fucking thing too. It doesn't have to be like um, some big idea or anything. I think, I, I mean, I thought all the kids in my high school, I was very shy. I thought all the, the kids that were like the party girls and dudes were like so cool and that's what I should mm-hmm. aspire to be. Yeah. Um, and everyone that was in that like in crowd popular group, that's like who is going to succeed in life and who is going to live the best lives. And uh, I don't think that's true. I yep. think I'm, I really like the life that I've lived and I think by being a little shy weirdo that observed all of them, I have way more resources for comedy now. Mm-hmm. And it was without knowing... Uh, a huge kind of education for me mm-hmm. in like the human condition and how to be able to now use things I've seen and personalities I've encountered and put that into like comedy bits. Yeah. Yeah. And people like to say that they, you know, that whole like uh, unexamined life isn't worth living. Yeah. But I think it's really important to also uh, go uh, maybe truer and maybe what they actually mean is the unexamining life is, is not worth living. Yeah. And the benefit, that thing you're talking about, the ability to, because uh, I think a lot of times the people that are at the top of the heap we perceive as cool are doing examined lives. Like they're like they're just being this thing people are uh, uh, operating. Yeah. But you, what you benefit from and being like, wait, why? Let me really think about who these people are and watch them. Like you said, you get all this comedy, you get all this knowledge. Yeah, because they're living very presentational lives. And then mm-hmm. when you look at them and you see the nuances in between, like the way they talk to each other, and you see a, 
a pain moment or you see like yeah. a bunch of people talking and one popular girl not getting her words in edgewise and like ha- watching these like real human moments between people that you think are like of this upper echelon than you and it's just fascinating i used to be a little weirdo when i uh one summer when i was in college uh i was doing an internship in new york city so i lived um i like subletted a place a room in this like columbia university apartment and i was so alone the guy i was dating was gone for the summer and i like had no friends and i was like 19 but i looked like i was 12 so i couldn't get a fake id or drink or anything i used to go to uh penn station and just watch people because i had like nothing else to do so i would just sit in penn station with like a notebook and just observe people and i was like so sad about it but in hindsight i was like what a fucking weirdo <laughs> I was like, no well it's funny i i was just i mean i won't go down this road too much but i was thinking earlier when you're talking about this youtuber thing and that, like how many youtubers are so introspective so introverted mm-hmm. like and i was like oh well and then good thing the internet existed for them but actually that type of person you are is the same as writers for most of human yeah. history these people who take in take in take yeah. in and then go to a private space and there you're a rich sort of experience of your inner life Life, being able to translate that for other people creates something that everybody outside goes like, whoa, that's me. That's yeah. me too. They just sat and thought about it for a while and watched us and that's, yeah. you know. Anyway, great. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what's the last gorgeous thing you saw? The last gorgeous thing I saw? Hmm. I mean, that hummingbird was pretty gorgeous. Damn, that's a good one. Yeah, that hummingbird was pretty great. The fact that it was here before we started then came back for a little bit almost to say like, Hi, mm-hmm. I, I did a drive-by, but now I just want to say, hey, guys. I came back like two, three more times. Too. Yeah, I'm going to have uh, to hang out the thing out there. Yeah, right? Keep the window open, see if it flies in. Hummingbirds are so magical. They, uh, Yeah, they really are. Really, they're amazing. They, like, uh, one of these days, I'm going to go off about hummingbirds on here someday, but not today. <laughs> um, you okay. got to do that thing where you get your spirit animal read. You should have someone come on that does that. I feel I have like a few animals already that like live in me and I've talked yeah. to them and stuff like that, but I would love to do it with somebody who, who like does it and see yeah. what they say. Yeah, see what the outcome is. Um, Okay, last couple things. Mm-hmm. Self-care. Do you have a self-care practice you recommend or that you're using lately that you think people should try out? Um, that's I'm kind of in that rut with like this, the way I've been talking about like I want to feel my body. Like I feel like I've had a little bit of a, a rut of not doing enough self-care mm-hmm. and trying to figure out what is my um, preferred version of self-care and so I'm kind of trying to figure that out I know and I want to get back to doing this Hannah had recommended Headspace to me Um, it's an app that's like a guided meditation app and they gamify it in this way I don't know if it's still the same but I did it a couple years ago and it was like read by this um, uh, British man who's got an accent so it's very soothing in this very nice way and so each day you like clock 10 minutes and then they slowly move up in time as you the more you do them and then you unlock different levels and so it makes it kind of um, incentivized to continue it and when I was doing it more consistently it was really nice and it did ground me and so I I want to get back into just like some sort of sitting meditation even if it's um, not headspace, but so just some sort of like sitting, no technology around me, just like nothing, being with myself silently. 
My Should brother for his 30th birthday, so you would love this. He just turned 30 in the beginning of March. He went on a 10-day silent retreat. Vipassana. Yeah, and yeah. I haven't talked to him about it, so I got to find out how it went. And I asked him about it. He's so a hell big sarcastic asshole. I was just like, why are you doing that? He's like, I don't fucking know. Yeah. He's just like, I got to do something. I got to do something. I was That's like, beautiful. I get that. I get yeah, that. Yeah, I totally get that. That's so honest. My yeah. mom's done Vipassana's, uh, I think the longest she did was like a 10, 10 or 14 day or something like yeah. that. And uh, it sounds, I've heard people uh, close to me who've done it that have truly profound yeah I, I was really excited for him because yeah. I think you he's gone a very more traditional route in his like career and work and I think there's part of him that needs some sort of shake up and I think that's the only way that you're gonna be able to get that yeah. is by like being forced to deal with yourself fuck yeah that yeah is, that's every day yes <laughs> um okay the very final one speaking uh-huh. of being forced to fucking deal with yourself i have this thing the don't kill yourself list i okay. went through in a dark period of my life i just uh, uh my brain was trying to kill me so i made a list called the don't kill yourself list uh-huh. uh, that started with coffee sandwiches and lavender soap and so every time i do the exercise for myself now i always start with that and then i like to just think of things that are in the world accessible uh common and fucking wonderful reasons that you should stay alive so coffee? i'd like you to add something what did you say I always start with coffee, sandwiches, and lavender soap. Coffee, but like, sandwiches. what's something on your don't kill yourself list? Um, dogs. I mean, <laughs> honestly, yeah. if you go to a dog park and you just watch dogs You'd having fun. You'd be amazed fun, how many people say dogs. It's, I mean, it's it the purest form of joy. Like, they have no idea what joy they bring. Like, their unawareness and to be, they're the most pure form of being themselves. Like, totally. they just exist. Um, and there are dogs with emotional behaviors and whatever, but the when you watch like the my favorite onion headline ever is like dog enjoys record 500th best day ever in a row <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's just a photo of a dog running through a field like loving life uh so those obviously are on the list um a good bloody mary a really Ooh, yeah. really good yeah. bloody mary um and i think i think travel i think like being able to go from one place to another and see something yep. an environment that's absolutely completely different than where what you currently were at it always blows my mind anytime i like come back to los angeles and i have like an early flight and then at night i'm like i was just in new york city mm-hmm. this morning or i was just in london or i was just in new orleans like it blows my mind the ability to like see different things and different people and realize just like we were saying how small we are and how big the world is i love uh you can experience i love living in la i love living in in a big city uh, you know for the same reason because uh within the city Mm -hmm. within your neighborhood you can have that experience oh for sure newness absolutely i think yeah just being able like even dating brooks he loves camping and i was always in my mind telling myself I'm someone that doesn't like camping that mm-hmm. went camping when I was younger and I just didn't like it but it was with my family and so now I've gotten to really really enjoy it and value it and like take a lot of energy from it and just finding how many different spaces are within less than an hour drive around Los Angeles has been like this wonderfully opening and relieving thing because a lot of times your soul gets sucked in these cities that are about commercialism and entertainment and you feel trapped and so being able to like leave them mm-hmm. and not feel like you're stuck in this soul-sucking environment sometimes and see something really beautiful and completely detached from yeah. this world is very refreshing so i think nature is always yeah. a good one to add to the list oh, yeah. in the broadest sense well, fuck, okay. We did it. We did it. That was, that was Thanks, great. Jared. Thank you so fucking much for doing this. Uh, this was great. Also, I mean. On, uh, this might get, by the way. 
Yeah, thanks. And uh, some of my favorite episodes of Not Too Deep are the ones that you're on. Oh, thank you. Yeah, they're. I'm hoping that uh, this one, uh, this is this is like the opposite of Not Too Deep for oh, sure. Yeah, you definitely turned Not Too Deep into a very microcosm of this exact thing, <laughs> which is why I love those episodes because it's always like a refreshing thing to be able to talk about something that is mm. profound but in a silly way. Well, you're, you're, I mean, you're a very profound person, I believe, and I thank you for doing this. I mean, that's, I mean, without that show, I don't think this would ever happen. I, like that I'm was glad you're doing this. I mean, experience. it's only about every single time you came on Not Too Deep. I'm like, when is your starting? You yeah, have I so know. much to say. That is, uh, that. Thank you. That's. that's I'm me glad you have an show. outlet now. When is you starting? Is <laughs> when like, is you starting? You are the you are the voice in my head yeah. for my whole life. When is you starting? <laughs> All it takes is a start. Yeah, that's that's leave there. Let's end on that. Perfect. All it takes is a start. Thanks, Grace. Thanks. Bye. Oh, all right. Well, that concludes my good bad brain. Uh, there we go. We did an episode. Um, hey, check out patreon.com slash my good bad brain if you like this and feel like supporting, getting some little rewards in return. And also, um, thank you to uh, Coda, Jordan Sudek, for helping me with that theme song. You are a wonderful, you are king of kings, and I love you very deeply. All right. Thank you. Goodbye. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.